listening to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb hole. Gonna slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. All right, big day here in the booth at the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. First things first. Yon Bud, how you doing today? So good, my dog. Whew. To my left, we got Gary Land in the booth. Gary, how are you doing? <laughs> doing great. I'm here. We're, this is dope. We're so happy that you're here. For the listeners that don't know who you are, Gary is a world-class photographer-director that comes from snowboarding and is responsible for many iconic snowboard imagery as seen in his book, East Street Archives, which you guys should all check out. He has gone on to shoot LeBron James, Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, and of course, TB12, Tom Brady, the GOAT. Uh, he shot campaigns for Reebok, Nike, Under Armour. He is a big dog in the photo world and a wealth of knowledge and stories. It's going to be a great episode. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, first things first, let's just dive right in. What got you into shooting snowboard photography? I want to hear about it. Oh, my God. So... Growing up in Virginia Beach, I, you know, started kind of shooting skateboarding, and that was kind of my gig. I loved it. You know, it was something about, you know, shooting my friends. You know, it was more vert scene back then. Trashmore was kind of, like, coming up and got to go there and hang out with guys like, you know, Sergi Ventura and, you know, Eddie Gutierrez. And, you know, every once in a while you got, you know, Tony Hawk would pop in. But at that point, um, Grant Britton was super on the scene and had already established himself. So to be a young kid watching that happen – it was natural for me to want to just go get a whatever I could get for a camera and just do the same. So it started there. And then um, I remember working at a surf shop and uh, kind of like managed that for a little bit. And we started getting snowboards in, which I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, I never had experienced that at all. We don't have any hills in Virginia Beach. Um, so, yeah, man, seeing that, it just I was drawn to it. And then we got this video and I think it was chill or something. It was just playing over and over on a loop in our store. And I just remember like Jeff Brushy's part. I'm like, dude, that is so rad. Like, I want to do that because I had surfed, skated. So, yeah, man, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to just <laughs> quit my job, you know, break up with my girlfriend and freaking drive to Vermont and uh, try things out. So, that's kind of what I did. You know, I just took a whim and just went out there. And, um, you know, I, I remember reaching out. There's a magazine called Eastern Edge and uh, Neil Korn and Andrew Semitis, Semitis, Serginius, whatever Super you want to call genius. Super genius. <laughs> was uh, running that. And I would said, yo, I'm, you know, this young kid from, you know, Virginia Beach, surfer, skater, photographer. And, again, I had just started. So it wasn't like I even knew what the fuck I was doing at the time, you know. But, like, I want to come out and I want to experience snowboarding. I'd love to shoot some stuff. And they're like, yeah, come on out. So I did. So I had that kind of knowing that, oh, at least I could, you know, go start shooting some stuff and maybe I could contribute and um, didn't even think about it as a money thing, but more just fun. Um, so, yeah, I moved to, to Killington literally on a whim. It's just like I'll find a place to stay. I'll find a job and uh, I'll find some guys to shoot snowboarding. And I did. It was just weird. It all just kind of lined up. And um, that's how it started. And met a crew and just – literally learned how to snowboard and learned how to take photos at the same time. Did you already have some skateboard shots published? Yes, I did. There was, and it's all local rags, you know, there was like, oh my God, was it like Coastal Edge magazine or like, I don't even remember, there was such little like black and white tabloid yeah. style magazines in Virginia Beach. So I had a lot of surf friends and I would park myself on the beach with a big lens and shoot photos and, you know, I'd sometimes get out in the water with a shitty little like 
water housing, you know, and try to get those shots. Those never worked out that well. But yeah, so yeah, I but did. slightly like local yeah. type stuff. And we had great, great surfing, you know, back then. It was like you know Ken Hunt and West Lane and some of the young East uh, Coast rippers. You know, even like at the time Kelly Slater was in Florida ripping it, but he was really, really young. So I had you know guys like that came through in all these ESA surf contests and stuff like that. So I had that experience. And Great so, Britain was already holding down the skate so hard. I didn't know he'd been around that long. That's Dude, crazy. he has. Crazy. Like his website now is like still popping and it's amazing. Yeah, that guy's insane. So I had a question. Uh, I heard there was an interesting story about how you got your first camera. Mm. Are we are we okay to talk about that? Or? Well, now that my parents are dead, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's weird. So. You know, I came from a, you know, dysfunctional family, so to speak. You know, I my parents split up super young, and I was in a house kind of, you know, as a young teenager, and my dad was, like, had a couple different jobs. He was, like, a bookie, one of the biggest bookies in my town. He worked at a car dealership and had a bar, and it was just, like, he's kind of a shady dude, like, gold chains, very mafia-looking. And he had a gun, and he always carried a gun. And, like, he went to bed with his gun underneath his pillow. And, like, I remember just one time, like, hearing him have a conversation on the phone, like, talking about killing himself or we'll put a bullet in my head or something like that. And I was – because his business wasn't doing well, one of them. And I was like, yo, that's the perfect opportunity to steal that gun and trade it for a fucking camera. So that's what I did. So I took – I just kind of plot, like, dad – like, I forget where he was. He went to work one day and the gun was underneath his pillow. And I took it. And then I remember, like, getting a – took a bus to Norfolk, Virginia, to this pawn shop, the shadiest fucking pawn shop you've ever seen in your life. And I remember going in there. The gun's, like, tucked in my waistband. And I, like, go in there, and I'm looking at cameras, and this fucking guy that was behind the camera had, like, this shitty, like, burgundy leather coat with a one bad arm. And I remember it was, like – it was kind of like a pterodactyl. It was, like – it was like this. And he was sitting there, and he's like, can I help you, man? I was just like, yeah. I was like, I'm just looking for a camera, you know? He's like, oh, well, you know. So anyway, this guy sold me on this – I don't even know what it was, like a Fujika, some shitty camera with a regular normal 50 millimeter lens. And he's like, you know, yeah. I was like, you, you know, you're going to trade something? You're going to buy it? I was like, yeah, I got this to trade. And I pull out this gun. Like, I can't even believe it. I pulled it out and I put it on the counter. He's like, whoa. And he like takes out back. He's like, yeah, we can do the swap. And I'm like, cool. And I just took it and I left and didn't think anything of it. And um, that's how it started, which is crazy. And so my dad for years thought it was my best friend Skip so my best friend Skip was not allowed in the house <laughs> he thought for, that Skip stole years. the camera but the or good the but the mean? crazy part of all this all full circle like 7 years ago way before my dad died i took him on a trip to vegas for a week oh my god took him to a trip my dad so here we are in this in this in this bedroom two double beds or two queens whatever and we're getting ready to go down to breakfast there he is sitting on the bed tying his sketchers you know and shit and i'm like I was like hey dad uh Remember that gun that you used to have? He's like, oh, yeah, the Smith & Wesson with the lemon squeeze with the pearl handle. Yeah, that one. I was like, he's like, I was like, yeah. And he was like, it's like, yes, you know, Skip Skip didn't take that gun. And he was like, sure he did. Skip's a thief. That guy took the gun. He's like, nah, he didn't. He didn't take it. And uh, I said, I took it. He's like, you got my gun? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't I don't have your gun. I was like, nah, I actually, I actually pawned it for my first camera. And, dude, it was so funny. Like, stopped tearing, tying his shoes. And he looked at me like he was going to kick the shit out of me. He was like, <laughs> and then he's like, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> and I was like, man, it was like this crazy weight had been lifted from my shoulders. Weird. I never thought that I was carrying that, like, for so many years. But, like, honestly, he never mentioned it again. So I thought that was, wow, that was crazy that I actually – 
got to tell him before he passed away. Well, he was probably almost a little bit like that started this amazing career. So, I think so, so. be it. That's crazy. You can just trade a gun like that back in the day. And I was a kid. Yeah. The guy was shaving. How old shit. were you? Man, 16? 16. You can just roll in with a gun. And Dude, like, I rolled in. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was my only experience with guns. I was a bad kid, man. I was a, definitely a juvenile delinquent. I mean, pretty much. I'm like lucky that, you know how everybody has a path that they go down and you choose that path? Literally, like you're like door number one, two, or three. And you choose one, you're like, I hope this is it. That's kind of what I did. I just chose the right path, thank God. But easily I could have been in prison or died or been shot. Or, like, it was a bad area I grew up in and, you know, did a lot of bad shit. Dropped out of high school. You know, just did everything ass backwards. To this day, everything I've done, ladies and gentlemen, has been ass backwards. But it's worked out. It's like, I don't know. No formal photography training. I did go to oh, did. I did go to photography Afterwards. school. That was the only thing I did right. Uh. No, yeah, I did decide that I wanted to learn more about darkroom shit and like how to print my own things and develop in like, you know, photography theory and all that. And my photography teacher was a douche. I hated them. It's because I we'd have like presentations and I'd bring in like shots of like fish eye, hand plants and weird shit, like, you know, skateboarding shots and he was like all he paid attention to was the hot chicks in class and what they were shooting. Mm. So it was like I was a loser. Um so yeah, man, but but it was experience. It was things that I learned that I was like, once I did learn it, I didn't even finish my degree. I was like, I'm out. I'm gonna go shoot my friends. And I heard it. a rumor from Pat Bridges that when you got to Killington, you were a sharpshooter that shot the the people coming down the hill. He was, for the oh, family, like for the, the family photos the or whatever. Art. Dude, I don't know where the fuck Pat. <laughs> no, Pat's Pat's good like that. No, I never <laughs> no, did that. Weren't. I actually had my photo taken by one of those sharpshooters. <laughs> so you Pat. weren't. No, I was Pat's fucking sharpshooter is what I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was, Pat. Pat the I Bridges. <laughs> Dude, uh, the stories I got about Pat, and I love Pat. Me and Pat go way back. And, like, the dude, we had spent so much time together. He was on my couch, you know, all cigarette-stained fingertips and fucking smoking. Like, he just kept it real no matter what and really honestly took a lot of young kids underneath his wing. He was like the coach. And, you know, and he fucking rode hard with everybody else. It didn't matter what the weather was like. Pat's out there grinding on the daily. So to me, you know, it's funny Pat said that. Because, yeah, I was a sharpshooter for all us dudes. Like, I was the dude that, like, had to carry around the heavy backpack chasing these guys around the hill. Um, but it was, dude, I would never change that shit for anything. It was so fun. Well, we happen to have a guest question from none other than Pat Bridges. Here we go. <laughs> Hey, Gary, I'm stoked you finally made it into the bomb hole. I got uh, two questions and then uh, an activity for you to do. Uh, the first question is, how? what happened the first time you went to Mount Hood and you ended up burning your irises? Could you tell that story? Uh, secondly, how many times have you been landed on by riders while shooting photos? And then the third thing isn't even a question. Can you balance the Mikey LeBlanc toboggan above E Stone's head on your chin? Hell right, yes. Stoked to hear the episode. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Those are great. Fucking That's Pat, a good man. Selection of questions. Great selection of questions. So I'll start with the first one. Man, Mount Hood. Love that place. Loved it. So we go out there first time not knowing what to expect and almost died in the process. Do you know what year? Just a set of... 
93. Nice. So we go out there, so excited to get, you know, fly into freaking, you know, Portland, you know, get all our stuff, drive up, and, like, spend all day on the hill, short sleeve shirts and, like, whatever freaking wave rave pants or whatever ones we're wearing at the time, and, like, shot all day. No sunscreen, no goggles, no gloves, nothing. I come, literally, for whatever reason, my eyes are killing me at the end of the day. I'm like, oh, what's going on? All of a sudden, I have blisters on my eyes. You could see. And I still have pterygium right now because of it. But, like, I literally had, we had to go to the hospital because it was that bad. Because I'm, like, burning my irises on this glacier. So the doctor's like, yeah, man, you have glacier, you have retinal burn or whatever. So I, he had to prescribe this ointment for me. We were staying at the Shamrock Hotel, which is a classic one, too. I'll get to that. But So we go to the hospital. He pres- prescribes these freaking ointment that's, like, thick as molasses, but it's white. And I had to put that shit in my eyes and, like, cover my face for completely two days. While everyone else is up. While everyone's partying. <laughs> everyone's having a great time. Gary's laying up in the shamrock all covered up. So... So here I am, get all this hot women staying next to us, and like the I forget what the, like the ski team or something was like in the same hotel. I couldn't see him. I was freaking laying up, my eyes covered. So I put this goop in my eyes, laying there while hearing everybody having a good time. They're all making fun of me. I'm sure somebody probably shaved an eyebrow or did something while I was sitting there, but like it was it was painful. It was like sandpaper just sitting there. And it honestly, that two days was the greatest thing my eyes ever had. It was like I came out of there like. I feel good. <laughs> Wore sunglasses, went up for the next, like, five days and shot. But it was, like, that was just one story. And then, you know, obviously we almost got killed in a freaking crevasse, you know, during that that trip, too. But, like, I remember that weighed heavy on a lot of guys because they saw me, and that was the first time they ever saw me, like, not be there because I was injured. <laughs> Dude, I didn't well, – you just don't wear sungla- or sunglasses. Never. I don't out. wear gloves either. I don't wear gloves. When I don't sh- wear gloves ever. either. Um, what was the other part, question? Part that two is being landed on. Yes. Fuck. How many times? And it's been videotaped. So I always try to get the best shots, the craziest angles, whatever. I'm looking at something. Okay, oh, this guy's you know goofy or this guy's regular. I know he's going to do this trick. I got to be here. So no matter what it was, I didn't care. I'd be in that spot. I'm like, I'll get out of the way. I still do that to this day, which I'll tell you about it. So, yeah, I remember like this guy, Pete Antonucci, Tribs, they used to call him. Pete. Used to ride for luxury. And, like, that was the first time. Pete! So... He does this, like, I don't even know. if It must have been, like, a 540 or something, like, back in the day, which was a big deal, or a 720. I don't know what he's doing. Spinning, grab, bl- going into a blind. I'm right there, and I see him coming at me. I just turn, board, you know, edge to the back, you know, clean me out. That was one time. I think I think Randy Gatano hit me one time on K-Rock. It was just, like, I was always getting hit, but it was cool. I mean, luckily for me, it wasn't in a bad spot where it, like, did damage. But it was more like, I'm going to get the shot, whatever, I'll bounce back from it, which I still do. I'm, like, taking pucks, you know, got freaking Steven Stamkos throwing slap shots at me with, like, eighth-inch plexi breaking it. I had to put three sheets in front of me every time. He's like, dude, I'm going to – I'm going to – I feel bad. I'm going to hit you. And I've got photos of me. I look like a – I don't want to say it, but I have this – I look stupid. I got this crazy Jofa helmet on. I'm like, and I got, like, a – I got my red camera, and I'm sitting there, like – I think I've seen this picture maybe recently. It's crazy. But, like, that was – Respect the Jofa. Respect the Jofa. You have to, you know, get these – you know, you know, man – Dude, angles are everything, on, and the worst part on is gnarly. It's, though it's 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 it is gnarly, and like you know, there's been plenty of people that have been landed on that it didn't work out yeah. so well, like Bud Fawcett and other people. You know, like 
you hear stories. So I'm thankful that it didn't end up worse than what it was. Buds, you been landed on? I was one time by a little kid. It was like a Sims kid shoot, and it was a, <laughs> a sea rail. And I'm trying to get the best angle, and you know, sea rail, the deposit zone basically was on my lap. And luckily, it was like a 90 pound kid, but. It was. A, I was like, that is never going to happen to me again. What about Jake O.E.? You sounded oh, like you were dude, that gonna... was so close. Ah! Jake O.E. almost took me out sound. once. Buzz is... Super ah! Park launch, too. I almost got landed on on a transfer. But, yeah, after hearing about the Bud Fawcett story, I was... I, mean, I talked to Bud about that recently, you know, and, yeah, I mean, he, he still kept going, man. He still kept going. He was, I mean, it's like a lot of the times we get put in these situations and you kind of think about it, you're like, dude, like, I might get landed on. Or, like. I'm like, this cornice that I'm underneath might give way. And, you know, we put ourselves just like the riders do. We put ourselves in these positions that could easily end in, in, in not a good way. But that's what I'm saying. Knock on dang, knock on steel, whatever that was, <laughs> that, um, that it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Part three of the question. Oh, balance. Oh, I'm definitely balancing that. I mean, bitch. I can pull let's, that thing off right now. Let's do it. All right. Let's talk. I mean, is it, yeah, let's go, the... let's go do it. Yeah. Pat Bridges, this is some easy shit. I got this all day, but for, for Pat Bridges, I am now gonna balance this Mikey sled toboggan on my face. There we go, all right? And it's got some nice maps. Let's get to it. <laughs> Didn't take long. I mean, that's easy. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like nothing. <laughs> I don't know. What else you got? <laughs> you need, where's LeBlanc? We got him up on there. <laughs> At ball face, they were having me balance shit on my face. It was like everybody was wasted in the pool table. Like, balance this! Pat's like, can you grab that? I'm like, balancing everything. I don't know. What's I can't even balance a checkbook, but I can balance a toboggan. All right, that was impressive with the toboggan. Nice work on that. Good question from Bridges. Yeah. Uh, I know we're probably going out of order here, but Bridges brought up a really good point. Uh, he said that in 98 or 99, it was maybe the first rail trip feature in a magazine ever, the Snowboarder Mag Boston Tea Party. That's right. Yeah, you want to walk us through that? Yeah, that was really cool because, uh, you know, at the time, I was living in Boston. I had to kind of move away because I was having a baby and needed to get a real job. And um, so I kind of, my new playground was the streets, you know. And I wouldn't say it was new, but it was it was on the new, newer side. More people, you know, it was happening everywhere, but that was what we were doing at the time was, like, taking our skills from the slopes to, you know, the streets and rails. So um, Pat knew that. Pat knew me and knew what I was doing and, and just kind of was like, um, hey, are you interested in, in, in doing this, you know, kind of jib rail feature in, Bo you know, around New England, Boston. And I was like, hell yeah. And like, so he, we, I don't, I don't remember if it was Pat going, Hey, we're going to shoot Eric Caval, Brian Barb, you know, uh, Jeremy Bay and, uh, Zach Diamond. And I think we always like a cumulative thing. <laughs> that was the crazy. <laughs> no, but it's, I think it was, it was that we just kind of said, okay, here's the riders. Here's what we're going to do. And let's just go have fun with it. You know, it wasn't like we had, you know, predetermined spots. We just kind of rolled up and just looked for spots. Wasn't the done. concept you guys were taking the tea around? It was, actually, yeah. So the Boston Tea Party is what it was. So um, 
it was weird because we wanted everybody to be there at one. You know how it goes. We wanted everybody to be there for that specific shot. So I think that specific shot that we got at the tee was Brian Barb, Zach Diamond, and um, Eric Koval. And we shot those guys, you know, around and getting in the tee and going. But then again, Bay can only show up at one point. Muddy can only show up at one point. So we kind of just pieced it all together. So it wasn't perfect, but it was fun as shit. We, like, dude, had Muddy freaking doing grinds down the state house building in, in Boston. I mean, it's unheard of. You couldn't do that shit nowadays. I mean, we, like, you know, obviously hopped the fence and did all that. And, um, you know, it was a bunch of different places uh, in Boston that we had hit. Um, but it was cool because it was, like, again, shooting film, you know, trying to strobe it here or there in, in a way that was, like, quick and easy, which that wasn't the case always. So we got kicked out of a lot of places. But it was cool because it, we hadn't really seen it too much before, so we didn't really know – I didn't say what we were doing, but we just took a lot of risk and it was a lot of fun. So, um, was it f- like the first street feature? That's what Bridget said. Yeah, it was. You know, funny thing. You know, Pat's first written article was my first photo published. Yeah, for Transworld, it's pretty fun. That was pretty. I didn't even Pat told me that. I didn't even realize that at the time. Um, but then it was like that came out, and I think it was pretty big. And then I think after that, I went to D.C. at the Blizzard in 96, and I shot that. And that was just epic because the government had shut down. So I remember calling – I think it was called uh, Miller. And I was like, yo, was like, we got to go to D.C. We can go like – they got so – Blizzard of 96, they have so much snow. They freaking shut down. No one's going to be there. We'll just go have – it was like, there's someone's going to be there. I was like, no, I have, I have a feeling. So like – we just got this crew together, rode in his truck. I mean, I was laying in the back seat or the be- in his bed of his truck the whole way there. And I, I mean, I was, we were freezing our asses off. I don't even, it felt like it was 10 years before we got there. But we got there and we had the whole place to ourselves. It was crazy. Seth Miller? Seth Miller, Eric Rabine. <laughs> Eric Rabine. Jeff Billow. Yeah, the three of those guys. Um, Brush was going to go. And I, I'm last minute he bailed. And it's, I was so, so looking forward to that. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk about Palisades. One iconic destination, two mountains, now connected by the base-to-base gondola. We got 44 lifts, eight mountain peaks, and 6,000 acres of legendary terrain set in beautiful Lake Tahoe. Welcome to Palisades. Iconic since the beginning, the mountain playground inspires progression and creates world-class athletes. Legendary riders have created countless video parts within this resort. Riders like Noah Selaznick. Jeremy Jones, Chris Roach, and many more. The Spring Park is the spot for sunny laps overlooking Lake Tahoe. Palisades Tahoe has been open to July 4th in past years, and this year the snow is stacking up. It's where dreams start and memories are made. Discover for yourself what legendary looks like Palisades Tahoe. We're going to take a quick break and talk about Bub's Naturals, Stony Buds. You know, they're, you know they make the best collagen, but did you know they're making coffee, Buds? Yep, Bub's Brew, the original blend. It's USDA organic, fair trade. Also, it's first ever coffee bean to be Whole30 approved, Chris. The Bub's Natural namesake derives from Glenn Bub Doherty, who was heroically killed in Benghazi, Libya in 2012. Bub's Naturals, a way of life. Believe wellness is driven from the inside out through the spirit of Glenn and a passion for nature's highest quality and sustainably sourced ingredients. We help fuel people to reach their maximum human potential while giving 10% back to charity. Their mission is simple feel great, do good. 
head over to bubsnaturals.com and use promo code BOMBHOLE for 20% off your order, Stony Buds. 20% off once again, bubsnatural.com, promo code BOMBHOLE. It's murder. You ever hit a smelling salt? This rap shit is not a game. <laughs> I've actually never hit a smelling salt. So, am I like? You just squeeze it'll clear it. that sinus right. Squeeze out. it. You squeeze it. It'll turn red. Oh! And now and you just squeeze it. it up to your nose. Easy. <laughs> not. <laughs> Goddamn, it's delicious. That is the. Oh, love it! <laughs> I like it. <laughs> that shit is beautiful. I just want to kind of keep it up there. Okay. I feel energetic. I don't know what it is. Like I'm ready to go shred right now. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. My eyes are watering. You hit that one nicely. That too. was yeah. great. Wow. What's the red shit? That's, yeah, that's like the activation Ooh. right there. You know, it's funny. Like, I need this when I play hockey, actually. You know where you can get it? Uh, run through a wall smelling salts are available at bombhole.com. Oh, oh, damn it, I'm going there and getting some. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's great. You haven't <laughs> seen the, the footage of the hockey players just going ham on it? I have, yeah, yeah and, and I just, they just they, like, didn't know there. what it was like, yeah. but now that I do, I'm actually buying a yeah. bottle. <laughs> no, it's weird. I, when I play, I, uh, so I'm, I'm going to call it, Red Bull gives me free... Thank you, Red Bull. Gives me free cases of Red Bull. You know, I've got some friends and some high places. But anyway, so I only drink it when I play hockey, like one before a game, and it's usually the sugar-free versions. And I swear to God, it, it really works. But my wife's like, you're going to die on the – you need to get a defibrillator out there because it's gonna your heart's going to blow up. I'm like, no, nah, it's fine, you know, but this – she won't know anything about this. I get to do this. <laughs> well, if you get named that video part right, you got one in your prize. Yeah, no, I so definitely that, won't that could name the video part right. As the worst, I'm the worst. You know, it's a good wormhole to go down. I think it's, you know, talking about early days shooting film. You're talking about black, uh, the the black black rooms. What are they? Dark rooms. Dark, dark, dark rooms. Dark yeah, rooms. yeah. Uh, um, how has it changed from shooting film wow. now to shooting digital? Let's go down that wormhole. Man, everything has changed. Um, I think it was just. It was harder back then because you couldn't see. You know, you'd hear the click of your shutter. You'd actually know your settings. You worked at knowing, you know, how, do I need to overexpose here or underexpose there? You know, you know, I didn't have a light meter at the time earlier on, so I used the back of my hand and got the – that was the closest thing to middle gray that I could, you know, find. You know, and, and that was all by learning, by getting your film back and processing it, and you see, oh, shit, it's dark or it's light, and then, I, you know, you had to work through it. But I will say, and I talked so much shit when digital first came out because I'm like, it was cheating, but I got to say, I love cheating. Like, it's so good now. Like, cameras are insane. And to be able to, like, take some images and look at the back of it and share it with the person that you're shooting and getting them hyped, that is what it's all about. The only problem is, you know, shooting for major brands is that they expect everything now. So you shoot stuff. I got to deliver a hard drive full of, you know, captures, both motion and stills and um nobody wants to wait for anything anymore so i think that part of it like the anticipation and the excitement of what is it going to be like you know it's like you get it now so there's no waiting so what there's good and bad to that i appreciate it as a photographer because i have more assets i kind of look back and i'm like man if i only had digital back in the day i would have gotten so many more shots like i remember that the bus trip 68 or less that we took to mount hood from rutland vermont Dude, I saved all my film for the hill because I only had like a certain amount. So I didn't shoot any of the trip. What a loser. 
that was just how that was what we were dealt with. I was a poor kid trying to shoot my friend snowboarding or wanting to make sure I saved the film there, you know, and that's you know, that was just what we had to deal with. You didn't have a light meter? Not early on. Yeah. And then I did. Um, cameras got better too. Yeah. So were I, you did you have like a I remember when I was shooting film, I'd have like a almost a little a notebook with a cheat sheet on what films did what and how to That's dope. Did you ever do that? Like which one's a cross process? I wasn't, I wasn't what, that good. I didn't I wasn't that no, good. No, I mean I didn't do that. And it's so weird. I feel bad too, because like I didn't people would always say, Who's your favorite photographer? Who's your I just never gave I never you cared. just wanted to shoot it was snowboarding. Weird. I, just, and, I don't know why. I should have. I just didn't. I just kinda like did what worked for me and you know, I'd hear somebody go, oh, man, that Kodachrome 200 is badass. I'm like, all right, I'll try some Kodachrome 200. It was that type of thing. And then I always kind of – I remember John Foster. <laughs> <laughs> sent me a brick of Velvia when he was the uh, photo editor at Transworld. Sent me a brick of Velvia, and that changed my life. Like, like making the East Coast look like it was the West Coast – was so exciting. The colors popping. Dude, everything. The blues yeah, and the like blues. all that shit was so good, you know? Like it was just, you know. And it's weird, I'll get I'll get into that, but like the East Coast and West Coast, like there was no beef there. It was just the East Coast wanted to be the West Coast. Like the East Coast was like, I wanted the blue skies and the big drops and like the powder and like, but I wasn't it just because I didn't have that wasn't gonna deter me from riding. We just we dealt with what we dealt with. But they fucking hated us. They hated us. Like the mountains hated us. And I don't know if, I'm sure you guys got that too. I'm sure you guys got that, you know, in the West Coast. I mean, you're East Coasters, both of you guys are. You know what it was like, you know. And But I did, I, t- I love it when I, you know, look, you know, looking back and look at some old photos and it's all gray and gross and, you know, death cookies everywhere and we didn't have all that, you know. So me to look at photos like from Bud or like any of these people, like Casimus or John Foster of like these amazing, you know, shots of, of people just killing it in like the most beautiful, you know, picturesque, you know, places is just so dope for me. Like that, I, don't, I never think about the East Coast. Pretty much is just gray all, yeah. <laughs> the whole winter. Flat, really, gray, <laughs> icy. It really is. I don't even think about that. We, really, it is. The classic Utah is like we get a storm and you know it's going to be sunny for three days after. And that's great because you know it, it makes photos. You know, you could shoot at a better aperture. You know what I mean? You the blue we have here for a sky is like Insane. nowhere else except maybe Mount Hood gets it. But yep. I have a Patreon question from James Crosby. And he says, as an influential photographer with a career spanning a wide range of technological changes, what are some of the photography fundamentals that you recommend media artists today stay sharp on? Um, <laughs> can you repeat that one? <laughs> I was just thinking about how much I wanted to hit that again. Um, what was it? <laughs> All right. This is from James Crosby. As an influential photographer with a career spanning a wide range of technological technological changes, what are some of the photography fundamentals that you recommend media artists stay sharp on? Man, I can't recommend shit. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, I think everybody wants someone to give them a piece of advice on how to, you know, what can I do that I'm not already doing? Or, like, how do I? And all I got to say is just keep shooting. Make the mistakes. To me, it's... It's embrace the imperfections. I'm always trying to fuck up my photos. Like, I have certain things that I do. Like, I, have a, I call it, like, it's a kit. You know, and I always tell my assistants, you got the kit? And they're like, I got the kit. And the kit is, I'll, I'll put scotch tape in front of my lenses. 
I'll put I have fishing different types of fishing uh, uh, line and I'll color it you know different colors and I'll put that over and I tape them in different spots and what happens is like the sunlight will hit that and cause interesting refractions that'll do cool shit like I do things like that I'll mess around I'll fucking light through fish tanks colored gels and weird things I'm always experimenting I'm a mad scientist when it comes to photography so like I'll never you can go into a situation and you can bring your camera and you can shoot it as is but what can you do that's gonna be different what do you do that's gonna be different like don't like I said don't worry about what people what you think people want you to shoot do something that's gonna be different for you and have fun with it treat photography is you know experimenting is super key so um does it have to be sharp fuck no it doesn't have to be sharp mess around with shutter curtain drag blurry fucking shoot it at i do like shooting things long lens 15th of a second and just try to pan with a person and then part of that person's going to be in focus that stuff's beautiful and don't you know critics are out there and they're going to criticize your shit dude if you like it that's all that matters true what uh that really works with the fishing line Mm -hmm. never tried that yeah it's like fishing line um, scotch tape. I use a lot of crystals. Um, different things. A uh, water bottle. I'll take an old water bottle and I'll crunch it up and then I'll take the thing off of it and I'll shoot part through that. And definitely the longer the glass that you use, the better that freaking kind of like, it almost kind of tilt shifts it a little bit. Yeah. So that stuff's fun for me because it draws you into what it is that you want to actually capture. I love shooting through things like shooting through trees and, and a subject. And like, I feel like there's so many photographers, including yourself, that do that. Like Blotto does that really well and like, you look at different things in a different light. Like sometimes it's not about back in the day we'd be on the deck of a pipe with a fish island, and you're like shooting swags, it's great guy <laughs> in the sky. And that's there was a learning process. That's what we had to figure out. And like one of the prime moments for me that I realized that changed things was I uh, was a US open year. It was like I don't remember the year, it sucks. I think it was like ninety-six. And that was the year of the cage. Wasn't that ninety-six? Yeah, and then, um, so I was on the deck of the pipe, but so many people were shooting. It was insane. Like, at this point, I was getting a lot of people, like, interested in it. So, like, where the deck used to be, like, you'd have a couple photographers every 20 feet away, and you'd, you know, you could almost touch the guy in front of you. It got to the point where, like, they were now putting you in a, in a box to shoot. So I remember getting there a little bit late at a, you know, VIP pass, but it was like, yeah, there's the shooting pit right there. You can stay in there. And I'm like, what? And I'm just sitting there with all these other photographers. I got really upset. And I remember leaving, like, this is bullshit. I'm getting the same shots everybody else is getting. And I was like, I just, I'm not interested anymore. You know, at this point, I knew I was having a kit. It was just like, I'm done. I'm, like, leaving. So I went down, you know, down the down the pipe, past the mushroom hut. And I remember looking back up. And I remember hearing people screaming because it was Terry Azer on. And I was like, oh, shit. And I looked up. And I was like, I was like that's pretty rad from here because I see the whole crowd. And then I remember um, Mike Hofer used to be the Arnett rep. Um, good dude. Like, he had the Arnett van pulled up at the very bottom behind the mushroom hut, and he was throwing Frisbees and shit off that. So I was like, hey, Mike, can I get on top of the van and just see what that looks like? He's yeah, Gary, come on up. So I get up there, and I'm looking, and I just this vantage point that I would have never seen before. It was weird, and I was like, oh, dude, this is epic. And I remember getting there, and I just set up with this, you know, longer lens and brush drops in, and that's when he did that big crail, and I just shot that, and I just remember I knew it. Like, obviously, you can't look at the back of your camera, but I'm like, oh, my God, if that's if that looks anything like it looks in person, that's going to be such a great shot. And that's how that shot was created. And even though I turned a bad situation into a good, you know, that was just special to me. So, yeah, I mean, it's experimenting, man. It's just like sometimes you get put into situations where you think it's going to be the end and it ends up being the beginning. 
lucky for certain people, but we're going to have that photo um, available at thebombhole.com, and it is an amazing photo. Good thing, if I'm hearing it correct, too, and I want to pick your brain on this, you know, looking at in the world of videography, photography, and snowboarding, and skating, and <clears throat> we all just tend to copy each other, right? whether mm-hmm. you're a writer, photographer, tricks, and, and it seems like what I'm hearing is your your kind of individuality and your authenticity kind of is, is the superpower in that, of just doing things your own way. I mean... Sure. I mean, yeah, it's part of it. And I never really think about things too much. I just kind of do them, you know, which could be either the, a, a good thing or a bad thing. But I think it helps. I think personality helps, you know. Like, I always used to people give me shit because I was always the guy going, yeah, yeah. They could do, I just get so excited. And I never really thought about it. It was just, I was excited. You know, I was shooting my heroes, you know. So, but I think, you know, yeah, it's like, to be different, to do things differently is good, but you don't want to put yourself in a box either, you know, because if you do something so differently and that's all you do, and then you, then you become that guy that just does that. So I never wanted to be that guy. And I remember I used to get criticized for it a lot. Even the early days of me starting to work for Reebok and like I wanted to impress the uh, CMO, so I brought my portfolio in, which I was just super kind of like, I was stoked on. And I was like, yeah, hey, this is rad shit, you know, and I brought my book in and the dude was literally like, flipping through the pages and like i was like that one's good and he just like just kept going and finished it and he was just like is that all you have i'm like threw it over his shoulder basically yeah you know it just kind of like it was a very humbling experience but like i don't know i just um you know i feel like my personality of you know being able to kind of like go walk into a room no matter who was in it and just make people feel comfortable I think that is what makes me successful at what I do. And still just being the same dude I was back then, I think, and because I hear it all the time, it's not that I know that. It's just I just haven't changed. I'm just still, like, a bro. I'm still, like, that dude. Like, I'll I'll DM somebody. I was just in – I was just shooting a New Balance commercial just the other day in Phoenix, and I was like, I wonder who – dude, I want to shoot somebody. I want to go spend two hours shooting a skater here. I DM'd this guy, Trey Wood – on Instagram. I know, Trey. Yeah. yeah, that I follow. And I'm like, yo, I'm in town. I'll, you want to link up? Let's link up. And that's what it was. And you knew him before or no? No. You I just, just knew he up. was sick. Yeah. You know, and I'm and like, I want to work with that guy. So that, to me, that is so brilliant. And thank God for the internet and for social media because I did that and we had a great experience and now we're friends and we hang out. I met a couple other guys there, J-Mod, a couple other guys are really, really good skaters and like, but that was relieving for me. That was like my own personal stuff. So I do things like that a lot. I want to transition. You you mentioned because I you kind of at one point transitioned from shooting snowboarding and started shooting mm. Reebok. Yeah, you want to walk us through that? Yeah. So when I went from snowboarding, I went from there to Solomon or to Generics. Sorry, I worked for Generics first, which was really cool. Got to be a customer service manager and a photographer there, and then they went out of business, and then I got a job at Solomon, and I was their photographer shooting both skiers and snowboarders, did that for a year. They moved to Portland, Oregon, and then I was looking for a job, and I saw a position at Reebok. And it was like managing all their database, all the all the photos and image libraries and stuff, because this was still pre-digital. So it was like basically managing their archives for print, you know, creating a database that the international markets could access to be able to use for publications, advertisements, and all that stuff. So that was my job. So I fell into that role 
and again wanted to be a photographer wanted to for them to to look at me through that lens of being that person that could help them shoot photos but they just weren't having it you know and then one time they had asked me if i wanted to go on a shoot with this superstar player they had Allen iverson and i knew who he was because i grew up in virginia beach so this was like they wanted me to go there just to watch how a real photo shoot was going to take place with this professional new yorker photographer and i was like yeah i'd love to go so i fucking had my little like Pentax K1000 or something at the time. I don't know what it was. A couple of rolls of Tri-X and I like had it in my backpack and I showed up to the shoot. And um, I was just like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, when is he going to come out? When is he going to be here? When is he going to be here? And I heard in Milwaukee, like, I think his limo is pulling up. I run down the back staircase all the way down there, like trying to get my camera at the same time. And I threw on this like super wide lens. It was like a 20 or something. And like I ran out the back door as he's getting out and I walk up to him and I just point the camera in his face and he was just kind of like put his fists up like this, like looking at me. And I just took this iconic photo, one shot photo. And it was like, we just made that connection there. Like he knew I wasn't, I could, like I knew who he was and I didn't care. So it was like, I saw him then. And then um, I got a couple other shots of him behind the scenes that Reebok ended up using for a Rolling Stone ad. And I mean, there's a bigger story to that and I don't want to go into it, but like, it's just like, these opportunities that kind of unfolded in front of themselves with a superstar player like Allen Iverson and the connection that we had with, I'd grown up in Virginia beach and he just trusted me like, and then that dude, that was crazy. So I'll get to the long story short. I'm like, I printed up in my dark room in my freaking closet, makeshift closet, a couple of prints on my eight by tens that I had shot of Allen on the set. And I had him in my cube. I come in the next day after the first day of having them up and they're all gone. I'm like, dude, someone fucking stole my prints. So I'm like, kind of like, I don't know who to ask people, but I don't know. So I remember sitting there, half the day's gone by, and I get this, you know, conference call, and I pick up the phone. It's like, hey, I, Bob, you know, I forget the hell his name was, the president, wants to see you in our office. And she was like a tyrant, like super mean. I was like, oh, my God, I've never even met her. Barbara? Whatever her name was. So anyway, I go into her office all freaking, um, hi. She's like, oh, come and sit down. And she, like, throws this manila envelope, you know, on the table, and she's like, and she just looks at me. I was like, I'm going to look at it. And she was like, oh, it was yours? And I'm like, uh, yeah. She's like, how did you get those? And I told her. And she's like, can I use them? I was like, uh, sure. And next thing I know, they're in Rolling Stone. And then next thing I know, I'm like, get Gary to shoot it. Get Gary to shoot it. Get Gary to shoot it. So I ended up shooting Alan Iverson a couple more times. And then it's like he said, I only want to shoot with that guy. Damn. So that kind of started everything, you know. And they, they weren't paying me shit, but the opportunities that I was getting was just – it just started with him and ended in shooting pretty much everybody under the sun that was anybody, you know, in sports and music. So. And you were sent there, though, to learn how to shoot at a, at a normal shoot? I was sent there to see how it to goes down so it... I, could, I could see the process <laughs> yeah. to understand how it was to create an image. And I was like, low this, whatever. I'm going to go shoot, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was cool to see because it was like heavy-duty strobe set and people everywhere. Super and the photographer yelling at everybody. And I was like... Yeah, I mean the guy's still actually an active shooter, so I don't even want to mention his name. Yeah, I was wondering, post to like, shoot? No, he's still a shooter. Well, I was wondering how he was. Did he even like give you the time of day? No, hell no. Yeah. He kicked me off his set. He didn't <laughs> want me shooting anything. So the funny, so the funny thing is, so I pulled my camera out on set when Alan was there. Okay, and this guy had like freaking all the biggest Speedatron packs, you know, bah, bah, you know, Hasselblad, and I was like, well, this is you know pretty badass. And then I had my camera and I pulled it out of my backpack. And he, like, said to somebody, like, tell that guy to get the hell out of here. He can't have his camera in here. So then I go outside. I was forced to go outside. And as I'm out there, 
I see this guy pacing the hallways, and I notice that there's this rock climbing wall. This was at the Reebok City Gym in New York City. It's like big, huge, cool, complex basketball courts, rock climbing walls, gyms, tennis courts. So there's this rock climbing wall, and there's a little like 12 by seamless, or even not even like a nine by seamless setup with like some duvet all around it. It's like this little like cove, and this guy pacing back and forth on the phone. And I hear him talking. It was like a GQ photographer, <clears throat> and he was trying to get or Esquire. He was trying to get Allen Iverson, like because he heard he was in town to try to get him for a little quick shots for the magazine. So I'm like paying attention. I'm hearing him, and you know me, I'm a gangster. I'm a little hustler from the streets. So I'm like, all right, how am I gonna use? It? How am I gonna flip this shit? So I heard him. I was like, hey man, uh, are you trying to get Allen in here? Huh? He's like, yeah, I don't know if he's gonna come. So like, all right, let me, you know, I'm gonna see what I can do. I'm gonna see what I can do, you know. And I go back and. I was just kind of like, just go back in the other room to pretend like I was going to talk to somebody. And I overheard them, his agent saying, yeah, we're going to go over there and do this Esquire shoot after the fact. So I'd come back out and I'm like, I'll tell you what, man, I'll tell you what, if I can get him in here, you're going to let me shoot some, I'm going to shoot behind the scenes, I got a little point and shoot bullshit camera, I'm going to shoot some behind the scenes, you know, over your shoulder, just kind of back. And he's like, yeah, man, you get out here, you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> So those were the images that I took. It was Alan, no shirt, all his jewels on, just kind of posing. And those were the shots that I took. One roll of Tri-X that I developed that ended up starting my, just everything that I know from Reebok, just like that. The shots were so epic. You know, the guy lit it well. And then and then it was just a freaking avalanche of just work after that. And you're just over this dude's shoulder, too. That's it. Poached. <laughs> fucking completely poached. This that is incredible. incredible time in Allen Iverson's career, I imagine. Just 100%. signing with Reebok, just coming on the scene. Like, just massive, right? It really was. You know, and he got to a point where I shot him so much. I feel like I was shooting him every other week. And, like, he would get to the point, bring me the photos, man. Bring me the photos. You know, like, every time I shot him, he wanted me to print photos and bring them to him. So I, I always had to do that. And, um... I still talk to him this day. He'll text me like, "Yo, hey, send me some photos," you know. And, like, and um, but it was such a magical time. I got, went to a lot of games. I got to sit on the floor. I got to shoot that, and then I met other. I mean, it was just like honestly, the amount of players from Paul Pierce to Kevin Garnett to Steve Francis to, to just the list goes on and on and on of people that I had to shoot. And um, you know, at the time, Reebok didn't under they didn't have an in house photographer. It was this job didn't th that in house photography for for brands didn't exist. So I kind of like made it up as I went along, and it was fun, man, because it was like they had so many assets that RBK RBK happened, and then like, dude, it was like everyone, Nelly, Jay Z, Fifty Cent, you know, uh, Ja Rule. I mean, like everyone. Like, yeah, how did you break into from the athletes to the because I was because I, I was the dude shooting everything. Yeah. They're like they didn't want to pay for some other photographer to shoot him, so like send Gary to shoot him, send Gary to shoot him, rock him. Like it just goes on and on and on. So I'm on the road five days a week shooting all these guys, you know. And I just got thrown to the wolves. And you know what? You know me and my personality. I'm just I'm a talkative person. I make people feel comfortable. So I just that's what I did. They're like, let's send Gary to Compton. Hundred percent, dude. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. There's a bunch of machine guns on the set. <laughs> we, we gotta, oh, man. <laughs> that shot. We got a guest question from Zeb Powell. Here we go. Hey, yo, what's good, crew? Down at the bomb hall. Zeb Powell here. Just wanted to check in. Hi, you guys. Give Gary a guest question or two. First one would be, what's good with 50 Cent's dog? <laughs> Second one would be, um, kind of more inspo thing. Uh, I think something you told me that really resonated with me was like um, how how you really got into photography, like how you kind of got your first big break. I know it was kind of like <clears throat> unofficial, but you made it official yourself more or less. So give give us some insight on that because I think that's 
I really resonate with that. And um, it's kind of how I weave my way into the snowboard scene, kind of. So let us know. Word. <laughs> he's a, such a good dude, man. Big fan. Love that kid so much. Like, he's just <laughs> such a good guy. Like, everybody around him. So that's funny. Um, so I got to shoot a lot with 50. Like, for a lot. Like, I probably shot him 30 times. And it got to the point where we were really close. And, you know, I would shoot him, and he'd have his big-ass trailer. And he would be, oh, gee, yo, come hang out, man. And I'm with, I'm like the minority on the shoot, I mean, meaning that I'm a low man on the totem pole. And, like, he wouldn't invite, this, this, he wouldn't invite anybody, but he would let me in for whatever reason. Chris Lighty, his manager, hated me because of it. 50 would come in. Because you talk. could get in. <laughs> I just would, I mean, like, I, I was... Honestly, I was just, I was in it. I was in this, I knew everything. I was cool with his music. I was cool with the scene. I knew what was going on. And like, he just felt that about me. So I'd go in there, we'd just talk shit and we'd laugh, we'd smoke weed, we'd do whatever, we'd just hang out. Um, I wouldn't say smoke so much weed with that with him. I, I, wouldn't, I didn't say that, that with him, no. <laughs> but um, no, we had a good, good time. And like, so I'd got hired to shoot the vitamin water campaign with 50 Cent when he had done Formula 50 when that came out. And um, that was when formula. That was when Fifty Cent. I mean, sorry, when Vitamin Water didn't go public yet. So we shot all the school black and white, you know, photography on RZ, uh, Mamiya RZ camera at his house in Farmington, Connecticut. And um, one of the shots was him in a robe with his slippers, you know, carrying his little dog, getting the paper off his porch with these two samurai warrior statues. It was a really dope ass shot. Very Scarface like. So. So Soldier was a little Jack Russell Terrier, a little white Jack Russell Terrier, cute as hell, little puppy, and he had this dope diamond brooch with a cross on it. It was all diamonds, like probably worth $150,000 or something. So we were waiting to set up that shot. I'm holding Soldier, 50s upstairs getting changed, and he comes down the staircase. He's like, yo, G, you like my dog? I was like, yeah, man, Soldier's dope. I love Soldier. He's like, you can have him. I was like, Nah, I don't, I don't want your dog, man. I'm cool. No, nah, no, nah, you're gonna have my dog. I'm like, I, fifth. I don't, I don't. I'm good. My wife, I just, Gary, you got a family, man. He just comes through. He puts his arm on me. He's like, you got a family, man. You know, soldier needs a home. Like I'm all the road all the time. You know. I was like, all right, fifth. All right, I'll take him. I was like, do I get to keep the necklace? He was like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> It was so good. That's all I thought about. I was like, does it come with the collar? So anyway, he gave me, he gave me his dog. And then they, and like with the birth certificate that had Curtis Jackson on it, like everything. I was like, this is rad. So I took him home and he bit everyone in my house the first hour. Oh. So I ended up giving him to my sister-in-law who had an A-frame up at Killington. That dog lived out its life at Killington as a little snow dog. And, like, you know, he died peacefully. But, like, I remember seeing 50 years later, and he was like, yo, man, how soldier, whatever happened to Soldier? I was like, oh, dude, Soldier lived his life in Vermont. Like, my sister took him, and great dog lived a long life. He was like, what? He was like, you didn't sell him? I was like, what? That's why he no. put his name on him, huh? He was like, dude, you could have sold that dog for, like, 50 Gs. Well, I'm like, what? All right, man, well, no, I, didn't, I was just <laughs> trying to be the good guy. But anyway, that, that was a cool time where he just, you know, I, yes, so I had 50 Cent's dog, and, you know, so I have shots of him and with him, and it's really, it was, that was a cool moment. So man, he thought sure. you were going to go sell him. He assumed I was going to sell that's him. That's why he gave you the birth certificate. I right. was thinking, right, you put that on eBay. Yeah, he gave, me the, he gave me the, you know, it's funny because the house that he was in in Farm Connecticut used to be Mike Tyson's house and Robin Givens. So they had that house together, so 50 bought it for a really good deal. 
but 50 kept Mike Tyson's like house manager there. I, was his name Dave? And Dave was this old man and like did everything around the house, right? So when I had to go the next morning, I picked up Soldier because we were staying in a hotel. I come there, picked up Soldier, and Dave's crying. Like, oh, Mr. Dog. Soldier. I'm like, no, Dave, you can have I mean, seriously, you can have him, Dave. No, 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 you have him. Like, I pictured the guy laughing as I drove away because the Soldier was crazy, dude. Bit everybody. It's crazy, like, Nuts. But um, yeah, that was it. That's a. That was a good one. That's so good G story. unit is not guerrilla unit; it's Gary unit. It's <laughs> G unit. Trying to understand here. G oh stands God. for Gary. Yes, that's that's a fact. He, we, we all figured it out. Fifty. Just we had this crazy connection, but it's funny. I had this one assistant that worked for me, and that assistant was like always like trying to take behind the scenes when I'd go shoot fifty, and fifty loved to fuck with him. Like it would be like fuck. He'd be like he'd be like shooting shots. He'd be like, Ugh! and the guy was like, oh, and he was like, Fifty doesn't like me. It's like, dude, you're just like dogs, no dogs, and you ain't a dog. Like it was just like, <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It just was so funny. Like he just, you know, but that's the kind of guy he was, and I appreciated that about him so much. And that's funny. I haven't talked to him in years. I'd love to. Guys like that, yeah, they can sniff out. They the really can. certain people. Yeah, I mean it's. I have so many of those stories. That's what's so weird. It's funny because people like that don't know me. Like, are you making that shit up? Like, what? That really happened? I'm like, it really actually happened. It's like the Little Wayne stories. All these crazy stories. I have so many stories like that. Well, I want to hear a Little Wayne story while we're at it. <laughs> Little Wayne. So, one of my jobs was to go shoot the Hot Boys when they were filming. Ooh. They were filming this video. I got the fire. Ooh. Yeah, it was a dope. It was in the Magnolia Projects. Oh five, oh three. Yeah, oh three. Five, I think. Oh, five. Yeah. So it was the Hot Boys, Juvie, Turk, BG, um, Birdman, all those guys. And give, give him an air horn. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get a little Wayne there. So we're, we're in the Magnolia projects. And just to set this to set the stage, this is like one of the hardest like projects in the country at the time. And like I didn't care. I was like, whatever. So I, we pull up, we're in a white van with no windows except for the passenger driver and, and windshield. Right? And I had my buddy, Linwood Harper. He was a video guy. I was a still guy. This was Alan Iverson's cousin. So he's in the front seat. And as we're driving through the projects to get to the shoot, people are like, I'm watching people diving off their stoops. Like, what are they doing? They're like, jiving. People are just diving as we're driving by. I'm like, what? He's like, yo, they think this is a drive-by. Oh, shit. It was a drive-by shooting, but we were shooting film. <laughs> So like they were just whoop, 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 jumping off like what and like we he got and like the guy driving pull take your camera like take put your camera back in the truck, so we get there we pull as soon as we pull up, I see little Wayne with his brand new SLK Canary Yellow SLK and like I go oh shit there he is little Wayne so I get my camera and I was like a fish eye I think, and I had I think I'd had it on from a previous thing I just did, then jumped out just like I did with Alan Iverson I walked up to him like. We were best friends. I had never met him. And I just pointed my camera's face. He was like, so good. Such a sick Because I knew I was going to get something. Either look at me like, what the fuck? Yeah. Or something. But I knew it was going to be good. Whatever. Smacking me. I don't give what he was going to do. Yeah. I knew that he didn't know me. And I'm going to put a camera's face. And he was going to react. And he's like 16, right? Yeah, he was 16. And he just gave me the, his, the middle finger. And then like it was on. Then we had so much fun. And then. We shot that video. I shot all the stills of those guys on the rooftops and like pyrotechnics. Oh, going I remember on. that video. So good. Yeah. It was it was Jeez. a really good video, but like shot a bunch of stills from that. It was all film and then ended up playing basketball during lunch against this drunk dude. And there was all these police around. This is a funny one. So I'm playing against this guy, and I was a pretty good basketball player at that point, and like um beating this dude severely in like twenty one. 
And the dude was like, you need to let him win. I was like, no. He's like, no, you, you don't want to beat this guy. And sure enough, I ended up letting him found out that guy was like one of the hardest dudes in the whole place. He probably would have shanked me or something <laughs> if I would have won. Because he was drunk, you know. But, it, but it, we didn't, those are the things like, I didn't care. I was there. I did not feel awkward at all being in a place like that. This, you know, young white kid from Virginia Beach now getting thrown into the most, some of the dangerous places, you know, on the planet, really, at the time. But, like, I felt at home was weird. You can't act scared. They'll sniff it out, though, right? That's, 100%. Yeah, that's what will create. But it wasn't even like I was pretending to not be. Like, yeah. One of the guys I was with was, like, so, oh, my God. It's just, oh. You just feel it. Like, yeah. like Mike, you need to chill. The f- you, you need, need to go chill sit in out, the van, bro. bro. <laughs> yeah, because, like, some people, you could just see it on them, you know? Yeah. Um, But it was just all part of the deal. Like, that was that was fun. I, I shot Lil Wayne a couple times after that, but it's just, you know. Every experience that I have, it's you know, it's right here. But like, I don't know. Well, we got you. I got to get right to the chase. <laughs> yeah, get right. To I got to get right to it. Uh, TB12, Tom oh, Brady. Oh man, you shot the man My in dog. the the arena. He's your boy. Yep. Just give me some. Just give me some nuggets here. I need. Some, <laughs> I need some Brady nuggets to get me through the day. So the first time I was around Brady, <laughs> so I'm good friends with Lonnie Paxson. Lonnie Paxson was a long snapper for the Patriots. Really good dude. Super solid guy. Give me so Lonnie invites me to this party in Boston, and um, you know Lonnie was like, "Yo, you know, Tom's gonna be there, yada yada yada." So I see Tom, and I met him for the first time, and he was not the nicest guy. Kind of gave me a cold shoulder a little bit. It was just like, I wish I would too. Like, who the fuck is this guy? So that was my first meeting with Tom. So it was all cool, and 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 you know Lonnie was all like, "Yeah, you know, whatever, it's all good." And ended up, um, I ended up getting. So Tom, I ended up shooting a couple times. I shot him for Under Armour. It was actually um, at the Raymond James Stadium when he had – I never shot him at the Patriots. This is the craziest part. I'm a Patriots fan. I live in Boston. I live minutes away from Gillette, right? So I always want to shoot Tom. Shot everybody else for Under Armour. Three times, three times they had asked me to shoot him, and I was already booked on another job. It killed me. I'm like, dude, I can't – couldn't do it just for whatever reason. That's the story of our lives. I was, it was the highlight of my career. I'm always like one week I'm here or there. Just couldn't line up on dates three times. So one time it worked, and that's during the freaking pandemic. He was going, you know, he was at, you know, Tampa Bay, and our company, one of my companies, um, Convoy, it concept, you know, conceived this whole idea. We produced it with GLP and then shot it, um, which was great. It was a really cool time. We very minimal crew. I mean, it was the height of the pandemic. So we go to Raymond James Stadium, prepping. You know, knew all our shots, had it all blocked out. Tom shows up in this badass Ford 150, like, Raptor, like, like customed out to the nines. Like, pulls up, backs in, gets out, no mask. Everyone's in mask. He's like, what's up, guys? Whatever. Pounds out with everybody. I'm like, take the mask off. I'm like, I'm getting COVID. I'm getting it from Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no doubt. Yeah. And I don't think anybody else did. They were like, oh, you know, like, I'm like, yo, bro. You know, like, good to see you. And he was like, this is the first time I've actually been here. I was like. What? Like, he'd never been to the stadium. It's the first time. So um, he's just a good dude, man. He showed up by himself, did everything we asked him to do. But it was really funny. One of the things that, like, kind of stands out to me was, like, when you shoot guys like this, they don't know shit about lighting, cameras, and that stuff. So I'm shooting Tom in this one scene, and he's like, hey, Gary, can we shift the key light to the other side? I was like, (laughs) then I'm like, is that Giselle talking? He was like, yeah. (laughs) I was like, all right, yeah, no problem, man. And we did, and he was completely right. It just, that was the better side for him. 
But I appreciated that about a guy who, like, he thought about it and he just said it. And, like, I'm going to, of course, do what he wants to do. But, I mean, those shots were great. And then uh, I got hired by ESPN to shoot the uh, all the stills for the man in the arena. And, um, I mean, that was so – it's a good one. It's a good story for this. So it's through Disney, through ESPN. Um, good friends of mine, Nick Gaelic, who's um, – he's a, you know, photo editor over there at ESPN. We've done some shots. I did the Chris Paul um, body issue with him and stuff, and then he had hired me to do Tom Brady. So we're there, and the whole idea was Tom was going to wear this kind of murdered out, like, black outfit, you know, no, 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 you know, no, like, colors or anything. And that was the only thing they had. It was not, there wasn't any alt uniforms or alt outfits. It was just that. So we had set up everything. We're in a stage in New York City. You know, Tom comes in with his crew, bigger crew this time. It's like crazy. I was like, oh shit, Tom's rolling deep. You know what I mean? And so they bring him into this room. They had this meeting. I'm out here, you know, being the director, you know, photographer. And then I've got my crew and we're all still set up stuff. And they like, Gary, you got to come here. And they call me over. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, he doesn't want to wear the outfit. You have to talk to him. I'm like, I got to talk to him? They're like, yeah, you got to talk to him. Like, you, you're friends with him. You got to, like, like, I'm best friends with Tom. Like, I, you know, I, don't, I said, all right, I'll go talk to him. So I go into this room and it's like, they're following me in. We're talking like execs and everything. They're following me in and they're like, Tom's like, all right, Gary, what are we doing here? What are we doing? And I was like, Tom, listen. It's like, this is, I was like, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. Like, yeah, they got me on the black. I'm like, Tom, are you really defined by a number or a color? He's like, Gary, why are you always trying to make me look like Batman? I was like, Tom, if there's anybody on this planet that's Batman, it's you. And he just was like, all right. <laughs> but, and, but, but that's the kind of guy you wanted just clarity. What are we doing? I'm like, you know what, man? We're shooting. We're, we're not. We're, we want this to be a little, you know, we're playing. It's fantasy, right? It's, we're, we're, you know, having, you know, we're being creative. We're thinking outside the box. It doesn't have to always be so, you know, black and white. But he appreciated that. And then the shots were cool. Like, you know, they went a different direction than where I would have gone because I only have so much say. But, um, but yeah, that was my, you know, Tom Brady. I mean, obviously, I've, you know, he's, I'm a big fan and what he's done. I don't care if he's what position you're at to, to do what he's done. And he's, I mean, it's like Bobby Orr for what Bobby Orr did for, you know, the Bruins. It's the same. I mean, their legends will always go down in history as being the, the greatest. They should be, they should erect a statue at Gillette of Tom Brady, no doubt. I don't yeah. know. I'm sure that's in the works. Head should the be. Works. Should be. You hear about the potential one day contract? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you think it's going to happen? Um, I'd like for it to happen. I'll be there if it does. Roger, uh, not Roger Goodell. Jesus, uh, the what's his name? The um, no, I was going to say the crowd. I mean, Rob, Bob Kraft. Yeah, Bob Kraft. Yeah, yeah Bob Kraft <laughs> basically said, who's the owner of the Patriots, that they're going to sign Brady for a one day contract. Right. Just so he can retire as a patriot, oh. and they, patriot. they will. That makes they, sense. They though. will because as much flack as they got the first time he did it, they didn't do that. They can't miss that opportunity again. And you could tell because even in Tom's post, there was a lot of patriot stuff in there. And dude, come on! I mean, that he's a patriot. Like he obviously, Buds, he's a patriot. Do you got to? Uh, I mean, would he have to get a lot of money to do that? No, or would it just oh, be well, like, they'll pay him something. Yeah, they. You would him. think he would want it though. You Let's know? put it this way. I told Tom, honestly, when I, when I went to the locker room, he signed something for me, and he was just like, I know you're a Boston, you know, obviously I know you're a Boston fan. I was like, Tom, and he goes, he felt bad. He, he kind of said something. He was like, I, and I said, Tom, dude, I'm speaking on behalf of all New England Patriot fans. We love you, dude. <laughs> you have done nothing but put this team on your back your entire career. There is not a person out there that matters that you should worry about. 
because we all you're whatever don't matter what you do at this point like you've given us more than we'll ever get ever like i remember patriots sucked for forever he comes around and we're the most spoiled freaking franchise in history i mean that's great it's weird though because i look at it now and i'm like i don't care if they win for a while like i'm good they were you know? satiated yeah yeah chris didn't really seem upset no nah. when he left Drafted. oh yeah right I'm sure. I mean, would. upset, but he was like, he's fine with it though. Like, well, like, because the man. What are you gonna do? I would have liked to have seen him retire a Patriot and call it. I mean, that would have been great. That's a. I mean, but he probably got two would more get rings. Bored, right? A two more rings. Yeah. You know, while we're on the subject of uh, Massachusetts royalty, talking about uh, mm-hmm. talking about Tom Brady, I think it's a good transition to talk about Andrew Muddy. Oh man. <laughs> muddy, muddy, muddy. Another goat. We got. He, yeah. We got a guest question from Muddy. Let me fire it. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Oh, Here we go. Hey, what's up, Jerry? Long time no see, buddy. <laughs> Pretty cool you're on the bomb hole. What's up with all the sci-fi stuff in your office, man? Gotta, gotta fill us in. Let me know. I'll be good. Later. Oh, shit. What's up with all the sci-fi stuff? Sci-fi nerd? I mean, I guess. Yeah. I am a sci-fi nerd. Nice. Yeah, I'm a sci-fi nerd. I love, so, yeah, I've written some crazy scripts and did a lot of, you know, um, I like to, so when I'm not taking photos, I'm building weapons and designing costumes, and I do all that shit. Really? Uh, yeah. You ever movie, you ever remember the movie District 9? Yeah, of course. So I worked on District so 9. That movie's insane. I actually built a couple weapons. So Weta was working on it. Weta hired me to go shoot all the previs for District 9. So I had gotten a lot of their designs for guns, and I went and actually created stuff. So I, so I was a very behind-the-scenes person in the beginning of that thing with Neil Blomkamp directing and all that. He had hired me to shoot all the previs visuals because he liked the style of photography I was in. So, but because I was always a sci-fi nerd, so like my when you walk into my studio, I've got like a twelve-foot robot that I built. That I had built. That you built. I, you had that I had built. built. And then I have a lot of weapons, futuristic weapons, and like just weird shit everywhere. It looks like a comic book bookshop gone mad, you know? And which is weird because I'm transitioning now into the new studio, and like all the people are like, oh, so how much of this shit are we bringing <laughs> over there? You're like, like all of it. It's uh, some of it. You know, I've got a purge. But yeah, I've always been like a sci fi nerd. I just remember, you know, I love all that shit horror, sci fi. Here's the thing. People get so damn hypercritical on, and we're talking about film. Like, is it a good movie? Is it? Does the plot right? Is the look? If you watch a film and you either laugh, cry, or get scared or have a reaction, it's a successful film. Plain as day. If you have a reaction, if a film that you watch anything makes you feel anyway, that's that's when a film's successful. If it invokes emotions. Yeah, if it invokes win. emotions. If it doesn't, it's a bad film. Good point. And I get stoked on visuals. So like mm-hmm. The Joker, one of my favorite visual films, the color palette they used, and just like every scene, I'm like, I'd hang that shit on my wall. I look, If I look at a scene and I strip it apart in stills, because I kind of do that, that's still, I want that on my wall. It's like, that's what I look at as a photographer, and it's tough to play photographer-director. I much, I much prefer being a photographer than I like being a director. Because I'm I'm a I'm a shooting director I'm like a DP director so I don't I wouldn't sit back and go yeah that's great I'm can you move the camera over there that's great you know, I'm not that guy I'm more like get in there get dirty find the angles what works what doesn't work so that's what I like to do and I, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that dude I thinking of uh, the Joker scene you're obviously talking about Heath Ledger and I saw that photo I actually thought it was Heath Ledger he like recreated 
and, yeah. and it looks like it's from the movie, and he just recreated. Was that for another project or for me? Just for you? Yeah, so that's insane. I just was so moved by that that I had to like go explore, get your version. Just wanted to be, yeah. I just I found some dude who looked like Heath Ledger. We he was like doing makeup. He he wanted to be him, so I was like another DM early early Insta. Fine. Oh, you DM'd him? DM'd him, like, let's do a project. Done. Went out, flew out to Toronto, was where he's from. Found an abandoned bank and rented the bank. Wow. Shot in the vault and did all this cool shit and pyrotechnics. A couple and, other guys in the background, yeah, too. It's like, yeah, and that's just, just for you? Just for me. That's incredible. I have spent, I'm not lying to you, hundreds of thousands of dollars on personal projects of mine. Did I just get, I did this graphic novel that was over... I basically shot this kid from the time he was in elementary school to the time he was in college of this crazy, you know, story of a, of a boy that's trying to save the world. It's like a boy boy that's born deep underground in this human preservation community that basically has to escape this evil leader to find out who he really is. And I did this whole – shot it all in stills. So it's just one thing. I just had to get it out in my head because it was in my head and I wanted to just shoot it. And again, ass backwards. I didn't have a script and shot boards. I just shot it as I felt it. And then I tried to pitch it. And I had a meeting at Spielberg's office. I went, I went to Amblin Entertainment. I don't know if you've heard the story, but I, mm -mm. I went. <laughs> oh my God! I went to, I went to CBS first, and I pitched this. I had a movie script and a series script that I pitched to CBS, and they were all over it. I couldn't even get two words. Like, my God, this is amazing! Oh, I had visuals, books. They were just like, we want in, we want in, and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing! Like, I, I might be able to do this. So then we, at the next meeting, was at Amblin at Spielberg's place. As soon as we pull up Spielberg's place, like E.T. Gate and all that shit, I'm like bringing out my cell phone. I'm taking photos. You cannot take photos. <laughs> Yelling at me. I'm like, oh, my God. So we go into the, to the office, and like their Wi-Fi is down for the day. And my presentation was an Adobe Spark presentation that oh. Wi-Fi based. So I had no presentation. So I go into it. I'm nervous as shit. We go up to the office, and it's like Oscars and Jurassic Park shit. And it's like I am in royalty. Like I'm like – so I get in there, and I start pitching – this idea that I have for at first it was a movie of it's called Artifice. It's a story of a robot and a little girl, um, military thing. And I started pitching it, and he was like, him and the couple writers, and all like, just like get, have this look. I'm like, oh fuck, what the fuck was that look? It's, I'm sorry, no. It's just we have like all these other um, robot movies that we're doing right now, and he starts naming them off. Embry Bruckheimer's doing this one. And da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, and I'm like in my mind, I'm, I'm listening to him, and I'm not, and I'm thinking, okay, how am I gonna spin this? Movie? So I'm like. In my own head going, oh, my God. And then, so I just forgot about that one. He goes, so tell me about the graphic novel. And then I start talking about the graphic novel, and he starts throwing me these curveball questions I can't answer. I just couldn't, I wasn't ready for it. I'd never pitched anything in my life. So then I, all of a sudden, I don't know if you guys ever had a panic attack. I had a fucking panic attack. A real panic attack. Dude, a panic attack. Like, I, all of a sudden, like, my throat started closing up. I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. And then my business partner's right next to me, and, you know, I like to talk. And he was like. He just was like, oh, my God, what the hell's going on right now? Because you weren't talking? No, I was just like, oh. I didn't know what to say. And then I saw this water on the table, and I picked it up, and it was like Polar Springs, and I pounded the whole bottle. It was his. It wasn't even mine. It was freaking. <laughs> so I sit there, and I'm like, I have to use the bathroom, and I walked out. I walked out of the office into the bathroom in the hallway, and I, like, puked in the toilet, oh. in, in his toilet in his office. And I come up from puking, and there's a bobblehead of Spielberg on a shelf right there. <laughs> and I'm just like. I looked in the mirror and I'm washing my hands. I'm like, oh my God, what have I just done? And there's a knock knock on the door and my my, my business partner's like, are you all right, man? I was like, 
oh, yeah, fuck, man, I'm, I'm good. And I come out and I just wing it. I'm like, yeah, all right, here's what I, I just was like, all right, I've already lost this battle and I just kind of spilled it out. And um, and then, you know, I, I apologized to my friend as we left and like the guy, and it wasn't Spielberg, just, you know, Steven Spielberg was not there, it was the head of production and yeah. all that. It's Spielberg's office. So like the guy calls my buddy, he's like, that was the greatest fucking moment ever. That dude is so rad, like, you know, Making fun of me. I just look, it was a lesson learned. Yeah. I didn't prepare enough and I'd never done this before. The only reason why I'm saying it is because it was one of those experiences where not, it doesn't always go so great because I left one really good meeting and then had a really bad meeting. And that s- scarred me for years. What was the lesson then? If there wasn't internet, you <laughs> needed to prepare another way. The lesson is don't eat a fucking crusty burrito before going <laughs> into a meeting like that. No, I, I don't know. I think the lesson was just be more prepared, you know? Incredible. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we've been going for a minute here. I think it's a good time for name that video part. Yes. Yeah. Oh shit. Hey, baby, you watch some videos. Name that video part is brought to you by Woodward Park City, isn't it, Stony? It is. Woodward Park City is only 15 minutes from Salt Lake City, just two miles past Parley Summit. They're open 365 days a year with twilight lift access for skiing and snowboarding for this winter. Woodward Park City added 20% more terrain parks, Chris. Let me tell you something. I've been riding up there, buds. It's fire. Okay? Snow's good. Park's good. We hosted Dogfight, a rail jam up there. Uh, Great mountain from beginner all the way to kids chucking double corks. I see babies out there just flipping, <laughs> just, just, just flipping off the jumps. And indoors and outdoors, these babies are flipping. They got, doing parkour they got airbags. They, yeah, everything. I had a friend visit from Massachusetts, went to the airbag, learned how to do a flip, didn't take it to snow, but he probably can. But he can now, huh? Yeah. Uh, have you ever tried to do a flip inside there? Uh, maybe on a scooter. Scooter. I think I scooter like scooter backflip into the foam in pit. I think I've done a scooter backflip into the you foam pit. You know, the pit. coolest thing is $40 is going to be getting you on that lift, and there's not a lot of ski resorts that can say that. So That's a good price, a uh, good place. They support the show. You should support them. Check out Woodward Park City if you're in the Utah area. But that being said, let's get into name that video part. All right, Gary, what's your confidence level, 0 through 10? 2. 2? Not bad. I'll be honest with you, I'm not that confident. Are you going to have a panic attack? (laughs) Oh, God, no! (laughs) (laughs) Probably. I was, I'll I'll tell you, a lot of the videos I was looking for were on VHS, not on YouTube. Oh. So Ah. I I wasn't able to pull any of the old VHSs, but uh, this would technically be a Set him up for a loss, basically. We'll see how he does. I'm going to lose. We'll see how he does. I suck at this, and I watch so many of them, too. I'm like, okay, here we go. Dope song. <laughs> I could picture like thirty different people like riding that. Like, and it's definitely like a it's definitely like a rail scene. I think I'll give you that. There's a lot. There's some rails in it. Yeah, and I feel East like Coast it's, royalty. I'll I feel say. like it's muddy. Close. Muddy was in these videos regularly. Oh, Eric Caval. No, maybe regularly. a little younger than muddy. Zach Diamond. Mm-mm. God damn it! See, Jeremy Bay. No, throw some. What, what kind of? See? I think he might have been a Rhode Island ro- local. Mm. Dude, like I said, I am so bad at that to this day. I'm like, I'm, I'm watching them all the time, and I'm like, I just forget about them. Okay, so. the correct answer is Iron Curtain 1. 
Uh, so you haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. No, oh, you haven't seen no, it. No, that's what I'm saying. I haven't seen Iron Curtain. I was telling Kevin. I'm like, yeah. I just was spending time with Kevin. I didn't I'm like, realize I didn't you hadn't seen never it. Never saw you it. Were trying to get no. a copy of it. No, Man. I wanted to get a copy because I wanted to watch it. It's Shane Flood's part. Ender of Iron Curtain 1. Flood. Give him an air. Oh, that's Shane? Yeah. Love Shane Flood. Lucky for you is a participation award. Uh, you didn't win this, just to let you know. Oh, that's all right. We are going to give it to you. We're going to give it to you. No, you didn't win it. It's a bomb hole. Yeti carry-all? Yeah, carry-all. Hoodies, t-shirts. We got smelling salts, so bring it back. Rewind. It's Shane Flood, man. <laughs> Shane Flood. Iron All the way. I knew that. It's the curtain of the iron curtain. Shane Flood. The Gaga Beast. Sorry, I didn't know it's a, I didn't know your I didn't know your No, I'm sorry. No, I honestly and I told Kevin, I'm like, I I hadn't watched him. And again, like, it's funny, man. When I left the snowboarding industry, like it, you know, I literally couldn't watch anymore. I couldn't. I had to separate myself. I was cold turkey out because you missed it. It hurt so it much. Hurt. It hurt so much. Like I literally, when I had, when I was having a baby, I knew I had to go find a job. I literally thought my life was over. I was like, "Well, it's been a good run." Yeah, I really thought that. I'm gonna go get a job. And, and, a what, and like, what did I know? Yeah. I, it just got better. But again, to be able to do all that shit and come full circle, and now kind of here I am sitting with you guys. Yeah. Man, it means everything to me. I mean, this is to me hanging out with you two is better than hanging out with Fifty Cent, Rock Him, any of that shit. Like this, you guys are rock stars in my mind. So to be able to sit here talk about rock stars with rock stars is dope. <laughs> Appreciate awesome. that. That's so kind of you to say that. And that uh, is. we got a part two of name that video part for the listeners. Basically, uh, we pick our winner. On, where at, buds? You're gonna go to the Instagram that announces Gary's episodes coming out the next day, and uh, put your guess in. And the winner's going to get a prize pack. It's yeah. going to be a sticker pack, not like Gary's big full pack. Sick. Yeah. And you basically comment on the photo of Gary uh, when we first announce his episode. First one wins. Because we can see who commented first and all that stuff. All right. Here we go. Kind of a sleeper, but great part. A little sleeper hit? Thank you guys for playing. Name that video part. Hey, baby, you watch some video. Welcome to the bomb hole. <laughs> All right, let's keep things moving here. A couple things I want to talk about. Back to snowboarding for a hot second. Uh, stuff that jumps out to me in East Street Archives. We'll, we'll, we can get into that. But I always loved the, the cover photo of Andrew Muddy doing the bomb drop. Legendary. Iconic right there. That's huh? iconic. Big old bomb drop. You want to tell Thanks, us the story man. behind that? Yeah, it's a good story. Um, I remember one day I was uh, I was at work, I was at Reebok, and um, I get this phone call from Muddy. He's like, "Gah, where are you at?" I'm like, "I'm at work, dude. Not anymore. You gotta come, dude. It's just I can't even explain it. You have to come right now." And he, I'm downstairs, Beth Israel Hospital. Just come down there, I'm like, Muddy. I'm at work. I can't do it. He goes, "I promise you, this is gonna be like epic. It's gonna be a cover shot." And he's like, "I'm gonna jump off a building." I'm like, "What?" And I remember going, all right. And I was just like, I was just, I was a kid. I'm like, a kid in a candy shop. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. All right, uh, I'll be there in the night. Give me like 45 minutes. So I, so I go to my boss. I'm like, I don't feel really good. I think I'm gonna just take the day off. Oh yeah, it's no problem. <laughs> Get in the car. I'm like, I had my thank God I had my camera with me, and um, that was in Canton. So I drove from Canton to uh, Boston. And I pull up at the Bethesda Hospital. I'm like, where the hell is he? And I see his like little fresh court with a rainbow rail with nobody in it. And I kind of parked in front of him. And I'm like, where the fuck is he? 
And then I hear like, yo, and I turned around and I'm like, I see this pile of snow next to the building. I look up and he's standing on top of this building. I'm like, uh-uh, I am not going to see this guy kill himself right now. Because <laughs> that's muddy. He would have killed himself. Um, so he comes down. He was kind of scoping out the line or whatever. And he, and he comes down and he had his buddy with him. And, um, you know, he was just like, yo, I'm going to do this. I'm like, dude, that's insane. Like, fuck yeah, let's do this, you know? And I had two cameras on the side. So I had one set up on a tripod with a with a cable release, you know, shutter. And then I had another one I was shooting handheld. And um, I was just like, all right, man, well, like, what's the plan? He's like, all right, I'm going to fucking go up and do this. I'm like, dude, are you, I mean, are you sure you, you think you can stick that? And he was like, we're sure going to want to find out. I'm like, that's a little pile. So he's like, as long as somebody's watching the car, watching for cars, we'll be good. So I'm like, all right. So his buddy like was watching for cars and we're, I'm sitting there manning it. He goes up there, he straps in on the top of this roof. I'm like, oh my God, dude. I don't, it was death defying to watch. So I'm sitting there, I got my camera ready. I'm like, do I have enough film? Oh my God. And then I'm thinking like, where am I at? And I'm looking, I was like, okay, I had a fresh roll of film in there. Cause I didn't even, I knew it was filming the camera. So I'm like, okay, I got 36 pictures to get this sequence of him jumping off this you know, building. So I'm like, I, I should be good. So he does it the first time. And I'm just like kicking out, you know, these, you know, 12, 10 frames, 12 frames a second, whatever it was. And he eats shit like, like over, like basically grabs and then like pulls too much in the front and like, just kind of like cases it and, you know, bounces off into the dirt. And he's like, I got it. I got it. And I'm like, oh my God. All right, cool. You know, I'm like, so I finish off the roll. I put another roll in, you know, and he goes back up and he does it the second time and back seats it, you know, kind of like skids out. And he and I'm like, dude, what the? And like, as soon as he does it, this car goes by. Like, I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, all right, like this is it, man. You're gonna fucking kill yourself. He's like, this is just one more shot. I just want to get it right. So he does it the third time, and it's like, I just remember thinking in my head, this is fucking the craziest thing I've ever seen on snowboard <laughs> at the time. So um, he does it, does it the third time, and stomps it, lands, and walks off, just smiling in like muddy, you know, fashion, and walks up, and high fives, and. I go back to work and I'm like, I remember I getting the film back and looking at it going, what? This is just so sick. And I remember meeting up with Pat. We were somewhere in the wor worlds or some. We were, it was like the quarters at Waterville or something. I had a slide sheet and I remember showing him and it was like him and like, um, you know, Sullivan and a couple other dudes hanging out. Preston, I don't even know who else was there. But like I showed him that and Pat's like, can I have this? That's the cover. That is the, I'm using this as a cover. I'm claiming this is the cover right now. Wow. I'm like, it's yours, Pat. Gave him the whole sheet, sure enough. And the funny thing is, that was Draplin's first cover. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was she even. No one had really done that. Even to think. At that time, right? Yeah. So that was super rad. Dude, it's rare that Bridges just grabs a photo and says, this is the cover. Dude. I mean, the eye. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was because of the eye yeah. <laughs> or if it was the eye. But it was, you know, it's funny. Like, I mean, I've seen Pat get into fights and we've, I've seen some shit like that. And I never knew, I thought that was like his, the, the eye, his eye was from a fight where he got cracked in the head. But I, I still haven't talked to him about it. So, Pat, if you're listening, what was that from? Was that reborn with the eye or was it, you always had the eye? We call him Pat the Eye Bridges because he did have a good eye, one. But, um, but he also had the eye. The eye. The eye. I don't, nobody knows where it's from. But um, but yeah, so no, like Pat claimed it, and it worked out, and that was the only big magazine cover I ever had, you know, as far, really? as, as, far as snowboarding goes. Yeah, and that was super honor. I mean, that was like, just to have that, and what it, in the context of it. You yeah. know, my homie from Boston. Andrew Muddy, straight up G. 
We got a Patreon question about a car with a rainbow rail on it. That we I do. Think would be we? really good for this timing. Nice. This is a question, Patreon question from Brian Mills, and he asks, "Could we hear about the Ford Escort rail shot at Sugarloaf?" Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> muddy. As muddy as well. As muddy as muddy. So iconic. He would always have these inventions. Like if it wasn't that car, it was like having a ramp that he would attach to the roof racks of his car to use as a, you know, you know, to drop in off the roof racks onto a piece of wood that's just barely covered in snow. So he was always, again, like I said, inventing interesting ways. When we're talking about photography and finding a way to be different. That was muddy. What can I do that would be different? So one of his friends had, it was a hand-me-down Ford Escort that he took and one of his buddies, they went together and welded this pretty amazing rail on this car. I mean, it was set up beautifully. It was done. I mean, honestly, if you look at it today, you'd be like, yep. Rainbow rail. I can see it over your shoulder, which is the beauty of this conversation. (laughs) Your other shoulder. Yeah, man. I mean, it was a really cool um, thing. And we dubbed it the Fresh Court. Um. So yeah, we he we would just pull up to resorts and like he would you know run in from a little try to find some tranny and just right up it, right up the rail and like honestly people would try it and they just wrecked themselves. So Muddy was really good at it. I'm sure you know I've got plenty of shots of him sequences of him killing themselves on that. But that was a very cool iconic time um, and another example of Andrew Muddy's shenanigans and like the shit that he used to do that I used to love working with him because he would always bring something. That was interesting. Yeah, 100%. And you use it on the cover of uh, E Street Archives. I did. I did. It was weird, you know, thinking that what was going to be the cover. And we bounced around. We we bounced around with so many different cover ideas. But, um, and I went through several designers. And um, Neary, I had a lot of great people that I would call on to help me with the book, by the way, the E Street Archives book, just because I knew this was a joint. This was a this was for everybody. This wasn't my book. This was like, I wanted it to be like a yearbook, some kind of memorum, mem- uh, kind of a memorial to our time back then. So I would, you know, I'd call Neary, mm-hmm. I'd call Jim Kelly, I'd, I'd call Barry Dugan, you know, and we would just sit and chat. And so anyway, the I guess, you know, it was just looking at selects and something was like, stood out about that shot it was just so part of the time the car was part of that time period what he was wearing was part of that time period the idea of something so unique as that rainbow rail on the fresh court you know with the license plate it was just everything about it when you look at it it just was fun to look at what's the license plate say it's just uh it's got massachusetts uh, plates on that's it that's what's up it's like that was it was re- mass represent the, the fresh court because it was fresh as shit and it was escort. Escort. escort oh, is fresh. Escort, that's fresh. Fresh, yeah, that's fresh. F R E S H. Fresh, fresh, fresh. Yo, that's that, fresh. That makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> Man, I was just thumbing through East uh, East Street Archives, just doing my research yesterday before we talked, and it's such a fucking great photo yeah. book. Uh, I think that anybody listening that looks looking for a good coffee table book, where's the, where do you find it at? You can find it on you know eaststreetarchives.com or on the Instagram account at East Street Archives. Um, we sell it. You know, it's. It's funny that you say that. I really, that means a lot to me that you say that because going into it, I was like, some of these photos are so shitty. It's like, they're not, it's not about how good the photo was. And I knew that going in, I was just like, it's just about, I just wanted to show the behind the scenes as much as I could, as much as I shot. Cause it was like, some of them were guys in the sky, some were ass shots, some were, you know, just not what you would call today great shots. But you know, that's okay because that's how I came up. It was about that. 
It was about like not being perfect and just being reckless and just like I did my best to show that. And um, you know, it's funny because some people are like, man, you can't show that. That's a you know, that's a this shot or that shot. And I was worried, honestly, when I did the book, I was like, I was kind of like, I hope people like it. That's all I cared about, really. Was like, I hope, you know, the guys that are in this book like it. Not like the masses, but like I'm doing this for them. And if it took a pandemic, man. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I would have probably still haven't done it yet. So it just gave you the time to haul up and get all your stuff together. Man, I went to a dark place. I mean, my business was in jeopardy, you know, like we I mean, I was on the road when it happened. And then we had our a shoot when people got COVID at our shoot. And like this is when it first started. And you know, you get faced with some reality. And I was just like, I remember I remember being locked up in my house, which I haven't been ever. I'm always gone. I've been that man that's gone all the time. And now I'm a family man. I'm home. I'm shopping. I'm cooking. I'm you know, working out all the time. I remember just being in my basement, you know, putting hash marks on my freaking concrete wall where I work out going, day five, day six. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then I, it was kind of, I was going into this dark place for whatever reason. I think a lot of us can, can you know, can, you know, can relate. And um, so one night I was like, in my office downstairs, I was just kind of like, I don't know, surfing the internet, looking up some shit in coronavirus. I was just, what I was just in a really weird, funky place. And, um, I was turning the lights off in the office and as I was going up the stairs, I kind of realized that the, this closet that I have, the light was on. So I was like, what the fuck is the light doing on? And I kind of opened the door a little bit and I saw all my boxes of film. It was like snowboarding, snowboarding, nineties, da, 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 da. And I was like, huh. So yeah, I'm gonna break out one of those boxes in the morning and just start checking out shit. So the next morning, I got up and I started rifling through images and I start I set up my scan station. I started scanning pictures and then I noticed that with every scan that I made, a memory that I'd forgotten about came back. And I was like, "That's rad." So I just was like, "All right, this is something." And I just kept doing it and kept doing it. And then I like, and then it was like I forgot if I forgot about something, I would text Koval or somebody like, "Hey, do you remember?" Oh yeah, that's da, 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 da. so then it just got to be that. So I just it just hit me. I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm doing a book. I've already done two books. I've got time. I'm doing it. And I just set out, and every day I scanned a boatload of images, and I started, you know, you know, as I did it, and I started talking to my you know publisher and the people that I was working with. I'm like, okay, I want to do this book. I don't know how long it's. I don't know how big it's going to be, but you know, it's going to be at least 200 pages. Yada yada yada. They were like, yep, it's going to be about a year you know, with the way things are shipping and da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. So realizing that I'm like, how am I, I got to tell people I talk about this a year. Like I'm just going to all of a sudden throw this book out. So I said, I got to maybe start an Instagram account and then just start sharing the pictures that I, you know, to see if anybody gives a shit. And that's what I did. That's was, a good call. Yeah. See if anyone gets hyped. Like, pretty much. I just yeah. said, I'll just try it and see if people care. Cause you know, I had people go, no one's going to give a shit, man. I had people go, people I mean, said that to you. People said no one's going to care. And I'm like, you know what though? I care. Yeah. Like someone's got to care. So I started doing that. And then as the Instagram account, I started seeing organically really start being followed by people that really did give a shit and wanted more. Then it was like, well, I got to do a website to, cause I know how to build. Web. I just said, yeah. I'll just do a website. Just start throwing stuff. I start digitizing stuff. And it just, it was a very organic idea that to me has like built this community and re has people like now being re reintroduced to snowboarding again and that love is infectious and you could see it. And like, so, you know, you know, creating E Street Archives. And the reason why I call it E Street Archives for those people that don't know is that 
we had this party house in Rutland. Called, it was called East Street. It was on 70 East Street. So if you even see in the book, there's a 70 that's done in like this, you know, UV foil that you can see UV hit. So 70 East Street was our party house, and everyone came through. Pat Bridges lived there. You know, you know, Chris Cowell, Jay Rosenbaum, Russ Jake with the RJ Films lived there. I mean, we were just animals, man. But again, this was one house. Those houses existed everywhere. The, yeah. the cracked in, the freaking green door. Yeah, everyone had a house somewhere. This was just my time and my friends, and that's what it was. But I wanted to share that with everybody and say, look, man, everyone's got a story. You know, like, dude, the amount of photographers out there that have so much epic imagery. So anyway. Um, so so you, the book represents that time yeah, at the house pretty and much. the writing that around it. And yeah, people, some people that weren't even pros. Right? Yeah. Some people that were just, they just hung out, they rode with us. I wanted to put those pictures in there because those so people cool. deserve their their time too, man. They were just one of us. If you freaking strapped in and rode down a hill sideways, you're one of us. I don't care if you were a girl. I don't care if you were white, black, whatever. If you were there and you made it to the hill, you were family. It's so rad. That's it. I mean, it's – and I think it's still like that now, really. I mean, like the pockets, obviously people go – the one thing that drives me nuts, and I've learned – the reality of that is like some of the older guys are like, man, there's no more style and snowboarding. I got to tell you guys, like I've been around it enough now that I've been reintroduced that there's a dripping with style. There's a lot of style right now in snowboarding. You have to look for it. And like these people that are coming up are so talented at what they do. And like, are they disciplined? Yeah, we should have been disciplined. You know, we just were, we did it. It was a lifestyle for us and we, drank and we smoked and we did our thing it's just different times you have to realize change happens it's just not that's not what they're into now they're into eating right they're in, into preserving the culture dude honestly these young these young guys give a shit about the history of the sport that's insane because there's other sports that people really don't care too much about the history. And I, I really do love the fact that some of these young guys actually care. You know, your Zeb Powell's, your Johnny O'Connor's, Mike Rav, you know, Red Gerard, Ben Ferguson. It, they all care and they love that stuff. They get they geek out on some of the old stuff. And I appreciate that. I really do. Good stuff. Well, to know where we're going, we got to know where we've been. And those books are so impactful. Some of the things that jump out at me is like, I love the photos of, of Bridges when he's a kid and he's snowboarding. And then uh, the U.S. Open images are, are so Dude, iconic. Yeah. And the U.S. Open stickers. That's where you're like, this shit, <laughs> this shit would not be going today. Oh, for real. It was a different vibe. Who was vibe. making those? <laughs> Bridges and Mark Sullivan. Okay, because it wasn't East Burton, Infection. Sure. It was really Mark, Sull Mark, Mark Sullivan's Sullivan. deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You want to run us through a couple of those? Yeah, I mean, they were controversial as hell. But yeah. That's what it was all about. You had to stand out. We were disruptors, you know. We were just we were hooligans on the snow. We just did shit because we wanted to do it. And if it made people angry and pissed off, then we were successful, <laughs> you know. And the stickers were just a part of that. It really, to me, it was a part of the open. And I had to put it in there, even though I know it was going to be, people were going to be like, that's a, you know, fuck Iran. What's that? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like. Was it I love Ginny Wara's backside or like Barrett Christie? Not just not just good looking, good or something like that. I forget what it was. <laughs> uh, speed checks bounce. You know what I mean? Speed checks speed bounce. Check, I'm actually that's still true to this day. I yeah. bounced the other day. Speed check. But those were fun, and people actually dug them. Like Jimmy, who like Jimmy Scott? He yeah. actually showed it. You know, polished Jimmy my who? helmet. You remember that? <laughs> they were cool stickers, and it was just it reflects the time. It 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 
and I think that's important to be able to look back at that. And um, I had to do it, so I put those stickers in there. And it's the same thing with the letter from the Stratton president at the time, talking about you know how he apologizes to everybody about how you know crazy the U.S. Open was. I mean, I put that in there. I remember getting that fax at Eastern Edge, and we just like, it's <laughs> like what? It's like colorful commentary and blah, 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 and the music was inappropriate. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like we're. <laughs> sounds like you guys are nailing it. Yeah, it sounds like you killed it. <laughs> we did. I I'll mean, tell you what, when the U.S. Open moved to Vail, it was just never the same, you know? Yeah. Well, I will say this, like, you know, having these meetings with Stratton now and the people that are in charge are just so great and they understand. They realize what they, they lost. Re- they maybe? really did. I think yeah. they do, you know, and they were honest about it. They were like, you know, we really feel like we want to – kind of get back and, and pay homage a little bit more to the sport that was, you know, partially born there, you know, like it's got history really, and roots. Yeah. yeah. So they're really, they've been giving us everything that we've asked for and to be able to bring that pipe back to Burnside where it once was and a little retro pipe for people to go back and kind of reminisce and remember what it was like to ride those like eight foot pipes. I mean, dude, that's going to be great, you yeah, know? And Yeah. Break down what homesick is for people that don't know. Yeah. So homesick was, you know, is just it's an event that I want to put together. It's like a shred and an arts uh, festival that's going to be at Stratton uh, March twenty fourth, fifth, and sixth of this year. Um, the reason why I call it homesick, I was thinking about the right title, and I was like, look, I lived there, I lived at Stratton, I felt homesick about missing the open, missing what it was like to see all my homies and my friends, and to feel part of a family that was gone. So I said, it's my duty to bring that back and let these people have the proper high school reunion. That's what I wanted. Like, I don't care. Don't, if you don't want to ride, don't ride. Just come. Let me give you a kiss and a hug. That's it, man. That's what I wanted it to be. So homesick is, you know, there's going to be an on snow element. So there'll be like a, you know, a downhill kind of like dual slot, you know, gates, you know, with like a drop down, the fastest man kind of to the bottom wins kind of thing. And there'll be a, a pipe contest uh, in a jail in a rant jam session, which is really cool. So there'll be ops. So it'll be up for three days. So obviously there'll be the contest part, but you'll be able to ride it, you know, throughout. So having that cut with a zog, like one of the early zogs, to make sure it's fresh like every day was pretty dope. So people can really just so it doesn't get too worked <laughs> like they used to do back in the open. Dude, Richard, sh- Richard's still got a Mickey in that thing, dude. I'm I'm telling you, people are gonna come out. They're gonna either gonna they're gonna tear something. Someone's gonna get hurt, but they're gonna have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Zeb Powell um, Rail Jam is going to be great. Um, you know, they're, he's really instrumental in kind of putting that together and kind of creating this really fun experience um, right above the pipe, actually. So uh, I got... So it's pretty low, then. It's low. People will be able to, like, walk up there and see it. 100%. You can walk right up, which is great. Yeah. So, you know, and then you got, you know, Lane Knack, who's one of my homies from back in the day, <laughs> FHM Welding, him and... Zeb oh, Powell yeah. are working together. You're rocking Get it right now. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just there the other day, and we were um, getting some shots of uh, him and Zeb together building the... Um, so Zeb's right there with them. Zeb's right there with them. Making sure everything's going to be proper. I mean, and that's kind of how it's been with Homesick, is that I'm reaching out to guys like, you know, Ross Powers is like the technical pipe director, and like, you know, what has he done for snowboarding? And shooting that kid when he was like in his early teens and seeing what he's done with his career, and now he's giving back, and he's a coach at Stratton Mountain School. I mean... And now to have that half bite be re- reintroduced in the place where he learned to ride it in the first place, man, there's so, so many stories. And I think that's what's cool, too, is like I'm, we're going to go back here, and I've already got confirmations of shit, almost 100 people and some really big names, you know what I mean? And to be able to sit down with them for a hot minute and hear their stories, I think that would be great, too. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'd love to have you guys there because I think it would be great, and you guys do such a great job. And I know if 
half the people show up that say they're going to show up. Yeah, it seems if, like you have a confirmation list bringing, building up that's pretty insane. It is. It's really great. I mean, some of the Euros coming back, you know, I've got, you know, Brushy and Ford and Neary and Coglin <laughs> and, like, it just it just goes on. Coglin going to put on that speed suit for the, <laughs> for the race or what? <laughs> well, I was like, I would love to get Coglin and Palmer to go head-to-head again. <laughs> so I talked to Sean. About I don't know, it was about a few months ago, and he was like, he said he would try. There's a lot of guys that they're try. Like yeah. Dan, Danny Cass is obviously busy again. now, but get him back. Noah Brandon's coming back. You know what, man? Todd's Br- going. Huh? Todd said he's going. I mean, but also you got natural selection, so I'm trying to figure that out. Bridges. Oh, what is it? Right at the same time. It's the finals are at the same time. So I feel like natural selection is just a spread of the whole winter almost. And that's going to be a Whistler, right? Uh, Revelstoke. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know which where the finals is, but yeah. I know they're doing one at Revelstoke. I don't know where the last one is. Or you can pick your spot. That's well, not that's the, the finals. That's the yeah. duels. The duels. They already shot. Yeah, it's good crazy. stuff. Sounds like a great event. Dude, I saw a photo. I think you took it. It must have been of Todd after he beat Terje. Is that the, the, the shot? And just the look on his face. Have you seen this photo? Yeah, dude. Is the it look, in the book. Yeah, uh, I think it might be where I posted. it. I saw it on this gram, but the look on Todd's face is just like this look that. I just beat Terry. <laughs> like well, the, it's just incredible. It's like, I beat Terry. Look, yeah, uh, the ca- he like just captured it. It's just like, damn, dude. Terry was, was hard to beat. Terry. The yeah. only reason why Terry Terry fell, and it's funny because after he fell, I have a shot of Terry holding up, which people thought it was the peace sign. He was like two hands like this, like. But I'm like, was it peace or does he like? Did he know he got second? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But and, like, and Todd just elated. People don't realize. Or at least some people don't realize how influential Terry Hawkinson was to us. And like, I talked to him not too long ago, and he was like, "I'm always excited for him to come back." You did know? you invite him to homesick? I did invite him to homesick, and I, you know, whether he shows up or not, you know, he's his spirit's gonna live on there for sure. Like, I know this is not the open, but still, it's there's some there's some some nods. But Terry said something like, "You know, I'm not in the industry anymore, or whatever." I'm like, "That's bullshit." I was yeah. like, "Terry, like that's like Michael Jordan saying I'm not in the uh, industry anymore." But uh, you know, I love that guy and what he's done for snowboarding. It's like talk about Tom Brady, what Tom Brady's done for New England Patriots. I think for sure Terry Hawkinson, you know, alongside with Craig Kelly, you know, and, and others, are so important to our sport and what they brought and what we've watched. I mean, again, it goes on to you. I mean, everyone plays a part, right? And it's like you learn and you see what someone does and go, okay, that's possible. I can, I can try that. or I can do that. I feel safe to try that. And then in the process of learning that you also grow and develop and do your own stuff. Like Sean White wouldn't be, would have, wouldn't have been a Sean White without looking at other people before him. And then the other people after him, like you see what, what, what's possible and like where it's going now, who knows? Like, it's crazy. I love where, I love what I'm seeing, you know, I love like all the backcountry stuff right now is just so insane. Watch what these guys are doing. The level of, you know, safety and expertise that they bring, but also at the same time of just having fun and ripping it. And like, it's just like there's this combination of like knowledge and just like nastiness that just combined that I love. Now, I get a question, or actually, I guess I kind of just mm-hmm. want to bring this back up, but off air, you were talking about the parallels between kind of snowboarding and maybe business and. For you, that business photography, uh, snowboarding, you fall on your face and you get back up. Yeah. Same with business. I kind of want to see you lean into that. Yeah. I mean, I always look at there's parallels in everything, right? It's You can look at something and, and see similarities in other things. And I, and I always thought, like, you know, with, with like looking at where I am now with businesses and, you know, 
going from one studio to the next and rent tripling and quadrupling and like all the different, you know, aspects that, that go on your business, even like what you guys are doing here, you're moving up and, and growing. There's risks involved. There's more money involved. There's more just things that get in the way that you have to like, you know, be worried about or think about daily, lose sleep over. But like, when you look back, it's really no different. The parallels of like a skater or a snowboarder learning a trick or wanting to, there's a feature that they want to do a certain thing on. Dude, They you bust your ass. You try and try and try again until you get it. And it's like you're going to get hurt. You're going to get bruised. You're going to fall down and hurt yourself. But you get up and you go and you do it again. And what does that feel like when you actually like land that crazy trick and you get it filmed and you're just like, dude, you're, like, you're pounding out, you're high-fiving, and you move on to the next thing. And it's a sense of accomplishment. And once you do that and you realize that it just doesn't come easy, nothing does. Nothing in life comes easy. But if you really work through it and you do those things, you know, you will prevail and you will. So there's a lessons learned. There's a lot of people out there struggling with addiction and like all that stuff. And I talk to people all the time and I've, you know, we're all part, we all have that. We all, have, we all have something going on and like nobody's perfect and we all have our issues, but like there are ways around it and you need, and it's good to have some friends that help you too, you know, with it. You know, I, I love that. So talking through things and have a support system, no matter if it's a trick, if it's a business, if it's real life shit, you just need to be there for your homies and and then definitely, you know, support them as much as, you know, as you can. When if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, you know, and it, everything would be too easy. It wouldn't be as exciting when you finally pull something off, right? <laughs> true. <laughs> so true. It would just be boring. I want to hear about this new... Uh production studio i don't know what you yeah. call it. you're making it's kind of weird that's always i always feel like people like well, he's, up. he's running five businesses it's like when i think about it, i'm like am i really i'm like oh i guess i am take like, us Jesus take us through them christ i mean yeah, run us through the business and we'll be like uh <sighs> mr wonderful and shark tank and see what we're down we'll with see if we want to invest yeah, yeah you don't see if we invest. can poke any holes no in money <laughs> no it's, it's valued at seven billion <laughs> we've sold three items <laughs> well you know so i have GLP is where it started. You know, it's just Gary Land Productions, a production company. We got GLP. S- GLP. We got several produce, uh, several uh, directors and photographers that are underneath that group. So it's all like kind of the production arm of one of my business production. Before arm. we jump into that, so you left like working with Reebok mm-hmm. or whatever, and you were just like, "I'm going to go do this." Yeah, I'm going to get people working under me. Well, no, no. When I left GLP, it was just me. It's just you. It's just me. I just called it Gary Land Photography, and then it just developed <coughs> Gary Land Productions after time. So I had to start somewhere, but I, I like the name GLP because it felt like LP record GLP. Yeah, and you're feeling you know? good financially to make a move, and it's just like winging it. Yeah. No, I mean I did. So when I moved out of Reebok, I GLP. We, lit, we were in Rockland, Mass, in a little small footwear. Like it was an old shoe factory. We had a small little like thousand square foot, you know, room, and um. I was a post-production guy, so I did a lot of retouching. I was one of the first Photoshop guys that had to deal with Photoshop, so I literally was that guy for years. So designer, f- you know, photographer, retoucher. So we moved into the spot, and I did a lot of retouching, made a lot of money through Reebok and other brands doing some retouching stuff. So we just saved our money. So as I'd get hired and go on the road, me and my partner at the time, he was my Digitech and an assistant, and I was a photographer. So we would go on the road. We'd make our money with our day rates, but then all the money we made for the retouching and all that stuff, we would just put in the bank and save it. So over time, we saved that money, and then we decided to go get a place in Quincy that was like 
going from like a thousand square feet to like almost 6,000, that was a big jump and it was super scary. And I remember being nauseous going, oh my God, can we afford this? And like building it out. And it just, you know, 12 years later, we've created this incredible business and formed another business. We started Trident post-production, which was a post-production arm. And then- um, More so steered towards video and- Film? Yeah, video and film, which is like we did a lot of CG work for NASCAR, Puma, Adidas, Reebok. It was just, you know, going on and on and on, a lot of CG, CG elements. And some of our guys left and working in Hollywood now. And and then um, and then over the years, um, people coming to me and asking me for like, you know, it wasn't just being a photographer director. It's like, how do you see us bringing this product to life? How do you – what are some brand identities for this new project we have? So I get a lot of that, and I would give it to them for free. And then someday I was just like, I got to start charging for this. So I ended up starting an agency with another guy called Convoy. And that's, we're six years deep in that. And that thing's growing at a rapid pace right now. So here I am with like GLP, Trident, Convoy underneath one roof. And I'm like, dude, I need to grow. We need to move on. So we've been building a studio right now, which is 27,000 square feet. And that's the whole bottom level is two huge sound stages and like bullpens and like offices. It's pretty massive. And so we're that we're calling that route three stages because it's route three. It's like a Marshfield. And um, and then on top of it are all our offices that kind of like, you know, have the business there. So it's so what gets done on the stages. It'll be like rent to get out to movie industry nice. and to other brands that want to come in and film or do music commercial, or commercial right. so anything. I couldn't have my name attached to every business because I'm a threat to other people or like, so I've got a production company, <laughs> I've got an agency and I've got a post-production company. So, and I get hired by agencies to do work. So if I've got my own agency and agencies are hiring me, so I had to change uh. names. So I learned the hard way, like don't have my name completely associated with stuff, even though I have a piece of it all. That's so I do, smart. I do all fine. People, people think you must make millions. It's like, I do fine. I do fine. But there's a lot of money that we put into these things. And it's just like I told you, like, you got to make these, take these risks and do those things. If you want to do it, you have to do it, you know, and it's scary as shit. Scary. Each stage of growth. Huh? Each stage of growth. And where I go next, I don't know. I mean, I know I want to do a movie. That's like personally what I want to do. Sci-fi, hopefully. Nope. It's no. going to be a snowboarding movie, actually. It's what? gonna Yeah. I already, I'm already starting to work on the script. It's called, it's called 68 or Less, and it's going to be based – it's like a basically, you know, super bad and ski school in one thing. It's a, it's Dude, a, we've been waiting a, for something a, like that. Hot tub time machine. Yeah. yeah, it's a hot tub time. It's basically a it's road trip. It's going to be a sci-fi. sci-fi with it. And Bridges it, was on that trip. I mean, 68 or Less, explain the concept for those who don't know. Yeah, so 68 or Less was a story I did for Eastern Edge. It was – Greyhound was doing a special for $68. You could go anywhere in the world – you know, anywhere in the country. So Neil Korn had this idea with Pat Bridges that we wanted to do. We're going to go from Rutland, Vermont to Government Camp, Oregon on a Greyhound bus with a bunch of ragtag snowboarders <laughs> to go have fun. So we did, and that's what we did. I was the photographer. It was like – it was like Pat Bridges, Dick Nessover – Jim Kelly, myself, Jason Rosenbaum, and like, and this girl Carrie Johnson, who was another photographer. And we just took this bus, it was like 90 something hours there, and then 90 something hours back. And the amount, the stuff that happened on that road trip there and back, that, it sounds made up. We, <laughs> from bad drugs to going off the highway on a bus, you know, to a pregnant woman, to sex on the bus, to, Dude, it's just like everything that possibly could happen happened, and and when we realized we were in trouble, <laughs> it was like getting on the bus 
in Rutland and stopping in West Rutland. Oh, jeez. We're like, oh, <laughs> my one. God. This is going to be a long trip. This is going to be a great trip, guys. So, but it, you know what? It, it just was such a cool story, and I feel like, to me, if any movie that I do would have to be something that I that I experienced myself or that I that it just feels fun. You know, because I do like a lot of shit. I like sci-fi. I like horror. I like, you know, I love all of it, thrillers. But, like, this one, I got to do for everyone. Who was driving the bus? A bunch of crazy ass. Steve Buscemi? No. <laughs> no, but that's what <laughs> it felt. great for the movie. Yeah, actually. so, like, I definitely, I don't know who drove the bus, but it was, like, m- ten different bus drivers. They kept getting on because they were, like, tired. But one guy so went off the road into them. a cornfield. That happened. Oh, yeah, drove off the road. It was just, like... It was just epic, the amount of shit that went on on that trip. And then we get there, and I get the retinal burn. I got <laughs> do we almost die in a crevasse. And it was like, oh, my God. It's just the stories are epic. So it'll be fun putting that one together. So as soon as Homesick's over and, you know, I'll be uh, – For some reason it. in my mind, I picture like an old school bus, but mm. it was probably like a more of a Greyhound. greyhound. Yeah. It was an old Greyhound mm. bus. It was gross. Yeah, uh, I bet now cast- a Greyhound across <laughs> would be a lot more than $68 or whatever. Hell, yeah. Probably be. like $680. Probably. If you're going to cast Inflation. one person, you should cast Mikey LeBlanc. Oh, dude, he's good. He's, he's as good. a bus driver. As a bus driver. Oh, yeah. dude. He would be killer. You know, it's funny. I do. I will have cameos in it for sure. Definitely. Mike, Mike wanna... is like, uh, he could. He probably would have won an Emmy had we submitted For his. real? Yeah, he's good. <laughs> That's amazing. We'll say, I don't know if you've seen his new movie um, that he made with Spencer Schubert and Ride, but it's incredible. We'll, we'll send uh, you a link. Please, please send me a link. What, what's it called again? Uh, assisted living. Assisted, oh, assisted living. living. Yeah, and he's like the old guy. They pull him out of a retirement home, and then he starts. He's like, "Wait, the toboggan!" And then he like <laughs> grabs the toboggan, and then he's like snowboarding on this toboggan, jumping off. Oh, stuff. it's, it's awesome. incredible. Yeah. He's a good actor. That's weird. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, in the early days with like Whitey, he played like a police officer at, in one of the skits, and it just kind of he's just done these cameos throughout, and he's really really good. Dude, Whitey. God, when you hear when I say those names. It's like I remember I was I was at the Peace Park with Danny Davis and Mac Dog and Blotto, and it was just like, oh my god, this is a just the, these people right here I'm in front of right now are just it's it was just so amazing, it's so such legends, and to be able to see you know Mac Dog and he's still killing it, it was just so cool. Which man. Peace Park was it? It was the one at Killington's Peace Park. Uh, yeah. Killington. It was the opening of it like last year, and Danny's rad. I mean, I think that's the thing too. Like, just I have to say, like. You know, I grew up around a lot of snowboarders and guys that were pros at the time. They're cool guys, but they also could be douchey. They could be really dicks, you know. And like the the guys now are so freaking nice. Everybody's nice. They're all raised by great people. I don't yeah. know what it is. Like, I'm like, damn, we were not that nice. <laughs> and I'm from Massachusetts. That's yeah. what they got going for them. Maybe there is a lot of really nice people out there in the snowboard industry right now. Oh yeah, I feel what you're saying. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Icon Pass. They got over 50 of the best resorts, Stony Buds. They do, and it's worldwide here. 33 resorts in the USA, 8 in Canada, 13 international. Grab the best prices on 23-24 and get all the early season's goods. Upon purchase, buy now, ride now, with immediate spring access to six mountains and a total of 12 destinations by April 10th. The immediate resorts are Big Bear Mountain Resort, Snow Valley, Blue Mountain, Stratton, Sugarbush, Snowshoe in Virginia. And by April 10th, all of the above plus Mammoth Mountain, June Mountain, Palisades, Tahoe, Winter Park, Tremblant, and Solitude here, right here in Utah. 
It's a nice, very French tremblant there, buddy. Thank you. Uh, claim big savings on child passes with the purchase of an adult pass. Unlock Spring's lowest prices and score renewal discounts when you renew your Icon Pass for the 23-24 season. Claim Adventure Day for as, lero, as low as 0% down, $0 down, and then pay over time with a 3-, 6-, or 9-month payment plan. Multiple pass options that provide flexibility for how you ride. The good stuff is coming at IconPass.com. All right, we got some big news coming at you from the bomb hole. Signups are live for the Bombhole Cup, which is April 1st and 2nd at Brighton Resort right here in Utah. It's going to be a giant event. Most spectators Brighton had ever seen last year, according to Jared. So day one is a bank slalom for all ability levels. Day two is a park showdown. So we got a park jump, a bunch of rails. We got a limo we're going to be jumping over. All ability levels both days. So bank slalom is really cool. We got all different types of classes in accordance to age group or ability level. We got a pro class. We got an industry class. We have an adaptive class for the non-able-bodied. We got a vintage boards class for boards pre-2000. We got age groups. We got Grom, 15 to 29, 30-plus, 40-plus, 50-plus classes. We got skiers on boards this year. So that's really fun. If you're a skier, you can't ski, but you can come snowboard. We have a splitboard race. So you splitboard up, race down. So fun if you're a racer, granola eating splitboarder, all ability levels coming out for Bombhole Cup April 1st. And then day two is a park showdown. So we got open class, we got Grom, we got pro. The session is just absolutely electric. Last year was legendary. We want this thing to be a community building event. So if you're a member of the snowboard community and you want to meet new people, you want to meet pros, everybody's going to come hang out. If you're a listener of the Bombhole, come meet other listeners. It's our big event where our online community gets together for a couple days, April 1st and 2nd at Brighton. Again, signups are live, bombhole.com. And uh, hopefully we see you guys there. All right, we happen to have a guest question. This guest question is presented by Autumn Headwear. They support the show. They make some killer beanies. We do a collab beanie with them, available at bombhole.com or autumnheadwear.com. Their whole shtick is style matters. So they make stylish beanies, cool prints, different fits. They got the resi beanie if you want to go sky high. It's not called that. They also got what else, buds? Well, they got the fisherman's friend. They got that if you're into the <laughs> the, the fishing wharf. And yeah, you if you want to go down one. the wharf and just look smooth and emotional, that's a great they hat. They got the, the E-code. There's G-code and there's E-code. E-code. Whatever they, you need, they got the you code. Are, they got you covered. <laughs> they got the cheat codes. They got the cheat codes. Um, so head on over to autumnheadwear.com. Use promo code BOMBHOLE to get 20% off. Get yourself a nice, they call them toques in Canada, Dukes. buds. Yep. Took. With that being said, we got a guest question from HFM's welding himself, Mr. Lane Kanak. Gary, over all the years of all of the different types of shoots you've been involved with, from snowboarding, musicians, athletes, all that good stuff, who has been your all-time favorite to work with? Next question is, what is the most obnoxious thing you've ever bounced on your chin? <laughs> well I love Lane um, I would have to say and I say this all the time and it's like no surprise I'd have to say 50 Cent is my all time favorite person to shoot and the reason is because of how much he showed up one time he would do everything I asked him to do and, and he would hang out 
for an hour after kind of absorbing the production and like learning about cameras. I mean, I was showing him how to use a camera. He was very much into the process. And I noticed as a big of a superstar as he was, it kind of reminded me of how brushy or like neary, you know, at the time when we were shooting, if you want to relate that to snowboarding, how these guys were already superstars. They were already traveling internationally. They had pro models. They were like, had we had posters of them already. I mean, they were big timers, but they'd come back and you're hanging with them like they were one of your boys. Like they were one of the, your boys, but they just didn't, they didn't treat you like, they didn't act like they were celebrities. And I think 50 was like that with me for all those years, like just super cool and super chill. So I think that's why I liked him the most is just because I felt like, you know, it was real, you know? So, yeah, that's that. Um, I thought you were going to say 50 Cent was the most awkward thing you balanced on your chin. I, <laughs> but I guess not. Um, you know what, though? The, the guys that hang out for an hour afterwards on his level, that's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. And to see where he's at now as a director, producer, he's doing movies, it, it makes sense to me. Yeah. One quick thing about him, I was at, when I was shooting his, you know, the vitamin water thing in this house, he, in between, the last shot we were taking, and we had, it was like four people from from Vitamin Water where they're kind of sitting back in Video Village and we're shooting all the stuff, and he was like, he just kind of comes up, he was actually making a bologna and cheese sandwich, it was actually part of the shot, part of the thing. And he was like, he's like, yo, um, I don't want you guys to pay me. I'm going to own part of the company, I'll just, just pay me in stocks. And then the guy was like, I think it was Rohan, I can't remember his name was, he was like, are you serious? 50 was like, yeah. And he's like, can we take a break? And they go into this room. 50 Cent comes out as part owner of Vitamin Water. <laughs> True story. And then Good it was 50. And then yeah. it was sold. Yeah, because 50, 50 made millions. He made off so it. much millions. money. I remember that. That's so that's a really cool story. And I watched that happen. And so it was smart. He was, it was smart. small enough of a company where the dude that was on the set. Well, they had to pay him. They're paying him. They're going to pay him a lot of money. A so he's like, I don't, want, don't pay me. Just let's do it in stocks. And that's what they did. And he just believed in just it. Just believed smart, in it. Really smart guy, obviously. Super smart guy. So, like, just made sense, you know, and then just to watch that go down like that, it's pretty really cool. Just over a bologna sandwich. <laughs> yeah, over he's making bologna. Over sandwich. a bologna sandwich. <laughs> he's just like, hold on, let me think part, here. Part two of the question was largest item balanced yeah. on chin, or most awkward item. I think he's. I think the most largest awkward, awkward item was probably a rowing machine. The one you were showing me. Yeah, I mean, because that one was it's heavy and it's super awkward. Yeah, how heavy was that bad boy? I was like eighty pounds. But I remember being, I was doing a CrossFit shoot somewhere in Colorado, and like I saw that thing, and I was like, hmm, I wonder if I can bounce it on my face. And then <laughs> some guys were actually doing like some, I don't know, some exercise. I couldn't even tell you what it was, but they were a bunch of muscle heads. And I was like, hey, man, you think I can balance that row machine on my face? They're like, what? <laughs> no. So I'm like, all right, watch this. And I like actually won a buck. I think I won 150 bucks. I was going to say, hopefully you put some money on it. I that. did. And then I just did it in one take, and people were filming it. And my, my assistant was like, I'll take out the camera and shoot you. And I did it. But it's like, yeah, it's weird. The balancing thing, I don't know where it came from. I, people ask me, where? what's the first thing? I have no idea. You don't even remember the first time. That's crazy. But it's just fun. It's easy. I don't I know heard, why. I heard you're going for the record. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to go for the world's record. They tried to do it for my birthday a couple uh, years ago, and um, we were practicing for it, and I was balancing this giant 50-foot lead pipe. It was like almost like pipe that was screwed in with like fittings, and it was it was bending and it snapped and it came down and I got it off my face just in time, but it sheared my friend's hand and severed his, uh, severed his hand. So we st at that point we stopped. Oh. He had to go to the hospital, but we didn't finish it. But I think I can pull off the world's record. That thing could have killed you. It could have killed me. Yeah, I know. I've done some. Dumb you need to shit. get like a better 
scenario going where it doesn't break in half, I guess. It's it's become part of my shtick, you know. It's like, oh, Gary, balance this. Can you balance that? Even in ball face, Pat Bridge is like, hey, Gary, balance. Can you, what can you balance on your face? I was balancing shit for people. Give us, run us through some the docket. I need to know. Yeah, some I need interesting balances. <laughs> what was your favorite? 40, 40 foot poles. Ladder? Know, every ladder you know, from, from 6 to 10 to 12 to 16 foot. I can balance. Um, I balanced a pole with a basketball on it at the Golden State Warriors Arena and had a couple guys that are like, you know, just dunking, to grabbing the ball as I'm balancing it and dunking. Um, you know, God, what have I, bicycles for days. Um, Did you get to start doing humans? You know, it's hard. I try to balance a swordfish. Actually, we went fishing. I was doing another shoot, and we were like 50 miles out every day in <laughs> Costa Rica. Swordfish. And we brought these, <laughs> we got swordfish, and like we had them like, I wonder if I could balance a swordfish on my face. And I was like, what a dumbass for even thinking that. <laughs> Funny thing's heavy. So I was like, oh, I can't even lift this thing. But I'm like, that would be cool to do something like that. So I do, one of the things I want to do is I want to go somewhere that has monkeys. Mm. And I thought if I got like a giant pole with a platform on wow. it and I got the monkey to climb up and they get the monkey to juggle while I'm like, that shit would be cool. That would be some cool footage. But uh, I don't think I could balance a person. There's people doing really crazy shit out there. So they're like, why don't you go on America's Got Talent? Because I'd get booed off the stage <laughs> if I did it. It's just fun. It's a novelty. I want to see the Rocky montage of Road to World Record of you training. That's what I'd like to see. Training to build up to the the pipe. You imagine that shit? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 you know it's weird. I, it's fun. I like. I don't know. Every once in a while, I'll get somewhere and I'm like, oh, I got to do this. It's weird. That's, it is that's weird. Tight. It's completely weird. I got a question. So thinking about uh, where you came from, Eastern Edge and mm-hmm. magazines and film. Yeah. And the current state of, I guess we could say media, or we could say snowboard media. I guess I'm kind of wondering is, with as a photographer, director, how do you feel about the direction media is heading in snowboarding particularly, since the snowboard show, is it more photo books, is it magazines, is it all digital? What are we doing here? Well, I'm a big fan of analog print. You know, I love print, so I love seeing what people are doing with books that are coming out. Like, I've got pretty much everybody's Snowboard book, you know, which which I love. You know, Blotto's been killing it. He does really cool stuff, like the phone book. And, like, he did a, a book with him and Cirilli, which was cool. Um, you know, Ari Markopoulos, McAvoy, everyone's got one. It transitions and exits. Snow Beach, 28 Dude, Days. Snow Beach, you can't get your hands on that, man. No. I've been trying. Blower was one of my favorites um, cool. because it was early. And Jared Eberhard kind of, like, spearheaded that thing with Burton and I feel so bad and Jared if you're watching like I owe you a huge apology because I know he was hitting me up for images for years but I think at that point I was really pretty deep in my commercial you know photography so anyway I couldn't give him photos and it just like I wish I had because I think that was one of my favorite books and it really inspired me to do other stuff so but I have to say I don't watch a lot of snowboarding movies I don't watch a lot of movies period but like what I am noticing is like it went from you know, film look to like, you know, Panasonic stuff to like red and the people like red's too clean. Now they're back at the Panasonic stuff with the fisheye lens with the, you know, century freaking lens attached to it, like skating. So it's kind of coming full circle. And even with my, you know, shooting and directing now, I'm shooting a lot more film. I'm shooting a lot of 16 mil film right now. It's a problem is like nobody wants to wait for it. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, look, I, you know, I, I'm on Instagram all the time. I feel like I can't put it down because there's always something new. So I don't give a shit if you shoot with your film or your f- camera or your, or, or your, you know, your iPhone or whatever. Um, 
I think it's all relevant, you know, and I think it's all matters. So I just think we have more opportunities with different, you know, cameras to use. I mean, before we didn't have that option. Now we do. So I think it's just in, the, in how you want to skin it. How do, you know, what does it feel like to you? I remember talking to some, one of the guys that was filming, I think it was one of the bomb hole guys, and he was shooting with, like, you know, DVX or something like that, Panasonic, or I forget what it was, the camera I forgot, <laughs> like something we all used back in the day. And I was like, yeah, what, what, why this? And he's like, because I just love the way it looks and it's easy and da-da-da-da. And I'm like, he's right, and that's why we used it, you know? Now it's like I got focus pullers and, like, I got so many assistants and I'm – hand-holding cameras and that have Teradex and this and that and everyone. I mean, it's just so much weight, you know, and with, with gimbals and have to wear, you know, easy rigs and freaking ready rigs. And it's just, it just gets to be more cumbersome. So, but when you ask me that question, I think I'm more of a print guy. I more appreciate the, the, these guys are now doing books. Like I look at guys like, how's Bud Fawcett not done a book? How's Andy Wright not done a book? Kevin Zacker. How's Eastone not done a book? True. You need to ask him. Dude, exactly. So <laughs> Andy, it's, but, but I mean, but Andy and it, I have been talking about us each. But you will. But book, here's the yeah. thing: you will because, and I and I want to be that person, even to help and say, look, hey, I've got some, some really good people that I know that make books. So I want to be able to. I think half the thing is like I've done it now three, four times, and I've learned you gotta a break lot, the ice, huh? a lot on the on, along the way, and I know the best ways to do it and where to print and all that kind of stuff. And to me, it's about the paper. It's about the paper. You gotta. It, go off on paper quality. Just don't skimp on the paper. Don't skimp on the paper. Because that's gonna that's what your pictures are living on. Yeah. You know what I mean? So don't make a book and have it look no. like crap. And I've only and I've only know because I've done it in the past. So I like using papers. I love, you know, all the different like embellishments. I think just it just helps the experience. Like when you put out a book, a snowboarding book, a skateboarding book, I don't care what fishing, whatever it is, you want to try to reach other people other than those people that are into that sport. Mm-hmm. Like, is it a a person just appreciates culture, art, books? Like, the, if you can tap into those things, it just gives you more people that are going to be into what you're doing. Is that that makes any sense? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's a chance to just reach out and and really explore that art form that it is. Which brings me to like, so this is not a one and done thing. So East Street Archives is not a one and done thing. Sure, like. I started with the book, East Street Archives, just for me to be like, I got to get this off my plate. I got to get it done. I, it's done. Um, but we're working on the second book now, and I haven't really talked about it, only with Eastone and other photographers that are going to be a part of this thing, but we're doing another book called Witness, and it's a really massive project. So it's four books, actually, that's in one. So it'll be like a double gatefold, you know, slipcase that opens up and has four books in it and each book represents a decade in snowboarding starting with the 80s so be 80s 90s 2000s 2010s and within each one of those decades would be a group of photographers that were instrumental in that era and um and then like them telling their stories about some of their favorite images because to me what it's about it's like the images are amazing but sometimes people don't they don't know like what it took to get that image or like how something quirky about it. Like, and I think that's, what's fun is like be able to read something that goes along with an image. I don't care if you've seen it or you haven't seen it, but just to find something else out about that is so rad. So I think that's what I'm really excited about. So we've been collecting a lot of images of many, many people have already submitted and to be able to just be, to be a photographer and a creative person to be able to look at these images and just salivate going, dude, like to see, you know, the beginnings of like the Trevor Graves, Bud Fawcett, you know, Ken Achenbach and these guys and the images that they're doing. And like back in the day when it was had, it was 
crude almost yeah to where it is now and soup i mean just shit is just it's crazy it's like god like seeing your stuff and just like i just appreciate it so much i could actually look at stuff and just get stoked you know what i mean like yeah. just looking at images so i'm really excited to put this book together and um i don't know when it's going to come out it probably won't it probably won't be next winter but it'll probably be next the, the summer after that what do you think retail will be on a four It'll be reasonable, similar to what this one is. Yours, the way you yeah. had the, the gate, the yeah. pullout yeah. is so cool. It'll be it'll be like that. It'll be just that high quality. Yeah, but it's exciting to be able to have the, all those heavy hitters in there, including yourself, dude. It'll be you know Blotto. I love the like, name too. Witness, witness, is a cool name. And that's because what we that's what we were. And honestly, you know, I've heard Grant Britton use that term a lot, really? and that's kind of where it came from. I didn't make that up. I just he had said it once before. He's like, I was just a witness, and I was like, man, that's so true. Like it's true because that's what we were. Yeah, we were, we were just there. Like, like and, 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 I feel like guys like you and I kind of interject ourselves a little more than a witness sometimes. But yeah, well, it's like all our noise we make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there are those other guys that are just quiet, chilling. Yeah. But either way, yeah, we're there just to capture it and witness it and it's just and show show it to the world. We, you know, we were we were there to have fun as well. To us taking photos. Honest, like being there, snowboarding with them, and actually capturing those moments, I think we had more fun than they did. It definitely <laughs> hurt did. less. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. And then the good times, the memories. Yeah, and looking at your photos from Stratton, just incredible seeing that time and the people that are there at the events. You know, like you just don't have that anymore. Yeah, it's weird to I see. I mean, it. what? We all saw X Games. It, there yeah. wasn't that many people there. Yeah. But I guess it's going out to the world a different way. So. I think there's lessons learned along the way. Like, you know, there's been a lot of, like, shake-up and people talking about this past X Games. And people make mistakes, man. People do shit. And they're like, hey, we should try something. And it may, it's not always going to work out. Like, it's like what we talked about earlier. There's no formula for this shit. People have a, Somebody gets an idea and they have an idea. And you know what? If it doesn't work and you realize it doesn't work, fix it for the next time. How about that? That's it. It's a good event. It's great. Some good riding. Snowboarding yeah, was great. Let's fix yeah. it. Yeah, snowboarding was great. People had a good time. Back at the U.S. Open, though, man, I don't care where you lived on the east. If you were a snowboarder, you were driving there, and yeah. you were going to be in that crowd. Or in a tree. Or in a tree. Yeah, the people in the <laughs> trees, the dude, cage. in those photos. Dude, those guys were, I was like, how the hell did they get up there? And I can't believe Stratton didn't come up there and be like, dude, you got to get out of these trees. I think they were scared. <laughs> they were, huh? It was a mob at that point. Dude, it was, they hid. They hid around. I dude, mean, I remember hit. afterwards, I was just a young kid, but I remember like. Um, some of the snowboarders were getting in fights, like with Dude. people in the side streets. Like, remember the snowball fight across the pipe? Yeah, the snowball, but and then also poaching the pipe. Up. Yeah, the poaching. That's huge. Oh yeah, like that's one thing that snowboarding's lost is somebody just dropping in and getting ah, after. Like yeah, Jeremy like Bay, just going big. Yeah. Like Jeremy Bay was like, I he never wanted to compete in the pipe contest because I'm gonna go and just throw the biggest inverted whatever, like the the bay the bay flip, whatever it was, and everybody was like, yeah, they just <laughs> let him do it. And I mean, nobody does that kind of stuff no, anymore. I know it's too. It gets it's serious. There's yeah. a lot more consequences now. You know that's so. I good. would have gone to jail back in the day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, stuff that we used to do. But I'm glad we did it. Yeah, it's it had to go down that way. It'll probably come full circle back to it. I just hope we have fun. I mean, that's all I care about. So we're just having, yeah. having fun and getting people back on snow again is important. So to what me. got you full circle? Good question. Yeah, how'd you come back? What brought you back? I just think because you could have just went and started to stack more money and made another book with I the biggest athlete just, and snowboarding was always you know I always still main I always still was a road it was still a part of me, um, but I think it was honestly it was the pandemic and having time and just actually being able to think for once 
Like, cause I was just day by day by day by day, I was always doing stuff and I was just jumping from one city to the next to the next. I just didn't have time to really think about it. I'm trying to be a father. I'm trying to be a husband. I'm trying to be a business owner. I'm trying to be a photographer, whatever it was. I didn't have time. And then when all that got shut down, I had time. And I think it was just like, what do I miss? What, what's going on? Like, who am I? What do I want to do? What If this is all done, what am I doing? So I just felt like, I think what it was, was like I realized some of these guys that were my heroes and I was just stoked to be around were just kind of not wasting away, but I felt like it was like, I don't know, like, where are they now? What are they doing? Like, how, I want to talk to them. Like, what's going on with their lives? Like, you know, I have these pictures that they've never seen and they're, they're just been sitting in my closet and like, they probably have kids now and the kids don't even know how cool they were, or like how they meant to me. I just wanted to like do something. So I felt like that was the right thing to do was to do a book. And that's how it became full circle. Cause once I started having conversations with people, like I went on the road and I shot like 17 interviews, just sat down. It didn't have a plan. It was just like, I'm going to go to Hobie and I'm going to freaking set up a great thing in this barn. And we're just going to talk. Hobie snowboarding. Yeah. Or like everybody, I tried to do as many people as I could. And um, it was during the pandemic. So it was like, People let, they wanted to have some sense of like, you know, normalcy of having somebody come in and just talk about something they liked. And I felt like it was therapy in a way. So I'm psyched that it worked out. I'm glad that we're on the other side of this pandemic and like we can actually go out and we can actually do this and we're going to have events and you guys are doing events and it's just, it's all good. And what we have to realize is that we realize how fragile everything is and it could be gone in a day. So it's like, I'm going to do it while I have it. I also I do like the idea of that you're able to take that time and think. I almost wish we could just get like a month to focus like that every yeah. year. China, they got that 30 day Chinese New Year. You know, they almost do that. Yeah, it'd be interesting because it did I a lot agree. of people. Interest- unfortunately, there's a real sad part of it. A lot, some people, a lot of people lost businesses. Yes, but then there's a lot of other stories of rising from the ashes. We, and- we yeah, Bombhole was created in pandemic as well. Same and we deal. were given that time yeah. to sit and right. Either fail or not fail, and we're still doing it. You can choose to look at things through different lenses, right? Just like we do as photographers. And I think I'm an optimist, right? You know, I'm a I'm a glass half full person. That's how I am. I always try to look at the best of things. And that's like, you know, one of my kids is the opposite. And it's like everything's negative. We might crash on a plane. Everything's like, like, dude, you're getting to flip the script and think about it in a different way. So yeah, like I needed to use the pandemic. Something was so gnarly, horror film based. And how am I going to make this good? And guess what, man? I liked being home. I liked hanging out with my wife. I liked going grocery shopping and feeling like I was a savior. I felt like I was a man. Like I, it was just weird. I just felt different. And I learned to like being there. That makes any sense. And and again, some people are there all the time are like, my life, I wasn't around as much, but having the pandemic as an excuse to wake up every morning, be in my house, have a routine. I could work out every day. I could, you know, have my coffee with my wife. We'd sit and talk. We'd watch the news. We'd talk shit about politics, whatever it was. We were still together and we were living. And there was something raw and beautiful about that that I just appreciate. So I thank the pandemic for a lot of things. But it's like, how do you look at things? Because things can be so bad, but can you find goodness in those bad things? I mean, you watch other people's stories. Man, I got injured. I'm you know, whatever, so-and-so, this happened to me, but I became a better person from it. Paul Pierce did a shoot with him. Everybody's he's a dick. He's the worst person you ever want to work with. And, like, he had just got stabbed and just got out of the hospital. I had to do a cover shoot with him. And I was like, oh, man, what's this going to be like? And was just all the nicest person ever. Went to his house in Compton. 
hung out with him. He brought us in. I ended up, um, you know, taking, he took me to his school. He told, talked to me about, you know, what it was like being stabbed and almost dying. And he said, if I can get through this, I will change who I am and I'll be more thankful. But it sometimes it takes an event for you to realize just how fragile life is and how special it is. And we talked about that earlier, Chris, and it is important. Like you, sometimes you need to be faced with a little bit of humility and, and um, adversity to be better. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's at least, I'm a very deep, I can get deep. Oh, I love that shit. <laughs> I mean, like I was talking to you about Jamil Khan, um, who's a really, was a very, he's still a special part of my life. And to be able to, you know, have him, his passing be the first time that I ever experienced that. And like having some spiritual moments after he had passed away was just the start of like kind of being in touch with maybe things like that or being a little bit more open to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say paranormal because it's not that. I just think it's like spirituality. Like, like you said, man, I'm like, in the woods and like, you know, we get so busy. We're mountain biking and we're doing this. We're snowboarding. We're getting from point A to point B. We're jumping stuff. Can you ever just stop and just freaking just stop, just come to a stop in the middle of the woods or just wherever you're at and just like listen to the birds chirping, listen to that water trickling through the, through the meadow in the background, listen to people having fun in the distance, listen to, you know, a little slough slide and then all that shit is stuff that happens every day around us. So, you know, put down the goddamn iPhone and look out the window in a car when you're driving. Uh, those types of things are so important, and those are the things, that, the memories that we're going to have, you know, for our lives. And, like, those special moments you got to take and just really, like, appreciate because there's more to life. The life as existence as a human being on this planet, I think, is so much deeper than what we know. We're not, we're not supposed to know what really is going on or, what, or why we're really here or who we really are. But I just, I don't have, I'm not, I don't subscribe to any one particular thing. And I'm not a religious person, mind you, but I'm a, I'm a spiritual person and I've become a spiritual person. I wasn't like, it was something that I've just, all the experiences I've had have led me to believe that I just, you know, I'm not afraid of death. I know I'm, I'm, I'm scared of that moment it happens, but because I just don't know what I'm going to, you know, what it's going to be like. But I know wholeheartedly that there's something else. And this is just what we're going through right now is just a small part of what it means to be a person, a human being. We're all we're all the same in reality. We just all have like I look at the shit going on in the world right now with Ukraine or all this fighting and all that stuff. Everybody's got their own agendas and things, but guess what? And if you really boil it down, we all want the same crap. We all just want to be happy. We all just want to live our lives and not have to worry and we want to be able to have food on our tables and take care of our kids. It's everyone. It's not like everyone's different. They want different things. No, we all want the same things. We just have, can we just all get along? You know, like really, can we all figure out how to like live together on this little blue ball floating in space that could blow up at any second that would not affect anything going on? In our <laughs> so true. I look at stuff like that and I really appreciate it. That doesn't scare me. It just stokes me out to know that like we really don't matter, kind of. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of to me that might be sound scary for other people. It's to be. I'm like, wild. I think it's dope. I think it's dope that there's some crazy shit going out there. We're like a dust piece of dust that's been on a carpet in the corner of your room that yeah. you'll never touch because the vacuum can't get to it, but we're just there. <laughs> it's just that that's how big it is. But I mean, again, I I could I have conversations like this with clients all the time, and they're just like <laughs> they'll just sit there, and I, I get deep in that stuff. But just because I, it you know. It's just age. It's just wisdom. It's just appreciation for life and and everything that's in it. 
And um, sometimes you got to stop and look and pay attention and the shit around you. And it, it just, it, it all starts to make sense. That's awesome. <laughs> Fucking great rant, Gary. That was, yeah, that that was those were, you were dropping knowledge. Dude, wait, I need more salt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, as, as when we shoot photos, sometimes we're left in the middle of the woods while the riders go off on the, the snowmobile and we get to hear those sounds of the forest. And I always, when you have that moment, it's pretty dope. Aaron Blatt, uh, I was just at Ballface recently, and I, I I hurt myself, for, you know, first day, and like I was kind of really bummed out that I, you know, I had done that hit a tree or whatever. And Blatt was so rad. Never met Blatt before we had talked, and like he just was like just a chill dude. And he was just hanging out, we're hanging out, and he's just like he goes, "Hey man, I want to take you some months. Come on, let's go. Going to go to Craig's Cross." I was like six, you know, so he takes me up to Craig's, and man, I was like, talking about a, just a moment, like he just you know just manhandling the sled getting all the way up there and it's just like it's just that he does it every day but to me it was just like i'll never forget that experience like somebody as as nice as he was to take the moment to bring me up to that sled and bring me up in that sled to to see craig's cross was just like and then it just and i really sat there and i thought about all these moments that i'd seen a craig or you know never met him i didn't need to i didn't need to meet him because of what he did and like what I had remembered or I had painted this picture of him was so important. So I just think, man, going to ball face like that, there's just so much, I had so such a great experience, even though I sat two days, the amount of people there and the energy that was in that place is just so special. So, I mean, when they say it's a bucket list place, that's no exaggeration. So it, the, going back to what you said, I just kind of, this popped in my head and I just, before I forgot, I wanted to mention they have a mission statement in bald face and it's, to sh- I, something, sorry, Jeff, if I butcher this, but something <laughs> along the lines of to share the infinite wisdom of the mountains for those that are wise enough to seek it out. Wow. That's I did dope. not know that. Yeah, and that's you, that. you talking about being at Craig's Cross and having that moment is just like, boom, mission accomplished. Dude, how cool is it that Blatt just pulled you aside and brought you? We don't know each other. I, I talked to him before about commit, you know, submitting to witness, which he yeah. did. But like, I just, man, you know, when you just know good people, you're just such a good person. We talked and we communicated on so many levels, similarities, and yeah. being a photographer and chasing the dream and you know, being involved in it and every day having something different. I just thought it was so cool. And like Blotto's the same way. You know, I just all these people that I that I meet that I look at, going, man, these guys are like just killing it in their, you know, in their time. You know, it's just like you too, Ethan. Like, you know, I mean, Jesus, the f- amount of photos you guys have, 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 have just been around. It's not even just like I look at the, the finished photo. It's not even that. You look at the photo, finished photos covers, but the stories behind just the shit that led up to that. Yeah. One shot, you know, prepping for it, seeking out the location, like how many tries it took, you know. Diarrhea like, in a train tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my that God. I've got those stories. <laughs> oh, God. Isn't that the weird? You get the bubble guts? <laughs> No, in those foreign countries, man. <laughs> oh, I got some of the food. Do you ever? Do you have people talk about like shit like that? Like, oh, yeah, that? we do. Oh, yeah, dude. we are. We are twelve year olds. I'd want to stratton like that. Yeah, we were talking shark. What are we talking? Oh, worse. This is great. Worse than a shark. I, I'm, That's full. I, it was. I was film. during the open. During <laughs> the open, I was scenario. sick, and I was on. I was taking some sort of antibiotics or something. But you were supposed to take it with food. So I had left, and I popped in the pills, the antibiotics. I'd eaten all day, and I'm driving, and I get halfway, and I'm like, it was like a Dumb and Dumber moment. It's like, what? It's like, oh my god. And like so fucking, I'm like, I'm like sweating, and I pull over to a general store, and like. 
I'm like, oh, excuse me, can I use your bathroom? Oh, we ain't got no bathroom. Like, what? Dude, no, you have a bathroom. Like, no, we don't have a bathroom. I'm like, oh my god. And I like leave. I go back out. My car's like, Burn! like, like a, I get a Subaru like little hatchback. I'm back fishtailing out of the parking lot. I'm like, I go to the next place. And I pull over to the next place. We ain't got no bathroom. I'm like, it's coming out. I just I run in the back. Like I kind of get in my car and I, I drive and I'm like, okay, no, I got to pull over. I pull up, see a place. I pull over. I'm in the back. Run out of the car. I grabbed. A shirt, I see, and like, oh my god, I don't know, toilet paper, and I go jump over the snow banks, pull down my snowboard pants, and just, oh, just unload. <laughs> and I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, I mean, it was like the greatest feeling ever. And I kind of look over, and I'm like, <coughs> it's Family a police floor. station. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, see cop cars, cops in the window. I'm like, oh my god. And I'm like, Jesus. And then I look down, I had shit all in my snowboard pants. No. Yeah, so like I had to throw my snowboard pants away. So here I am trying to get my pants off at shitty pants. I throw them in the snowbank, trying to bury them. Here I am in like long johns, which which were fine, thank God. You got that Burton AK that just dude, it was like so soup. bad, dude. None of it getting out of there. So then I'm like, am I finished? Am I done? I'm good. I get my get back in the car with fucking with with, with my waffle freaking thermals on, and I'm like, I get in the car and I'm driving. I get somewhere else and I'm like, no, oh, there's more. So, so before I get on the highway, I see dunks and I pull into the dunks and it's like no one in there. And I like I run past the counter, hey guys doing into the bathroom, blow out, come back out. And you gotta realize I'm in like Sorrells or something and like freaking put a clothes sign on the and like door. freaking like you know, shitter pants. And then I, <laughs> I come back out, I just like, thanks. And I leave. <laughs> But like that wasn't the last time. But that was the first time that that happened, and I'm like, that was gnarly. Dude, the devil. Good they stuff. say you don't respect you or yeah. you can't, uh, can't trust, trust the guy somebody. Doesn't have a good diarrhea story. Yeah, good. What story. I'm wondering is when you walk into those stores and they tell you they don't have a bathroom, and you know they have a bathroom. Oh yeah. I'm wondering if they like know what's going on. If, like, I gun, gun, if I had a gun, if I had a gun, I would have been like, "Come on, the bathroom." <laughs> this guy's sweating. He's anxious. I'm not letting him blow up my bathroom. Right. Yeah, that's crazy shit. And how can you do that to a person that's in that bad? That's you what can I tell thought. her in that bad a need. It wasn't like we're in the pandemic. That was yeah. another thing. Trying to use a bathroom in oh, the pandemic. True, that was yeah. They just shut them all down. Shut them all down. Even Starbucks, you can trust the Starbucks bathroom. You know it's going to be good. They had those things blocked off. <laughs> I got friends who are like, I've never shit in a public place. Like, well, you got problems. Yeah, that, well, you I'm might going, want to talk to a therapist about yeah. that. I'm like, I'll go anywhere, bro. <laughs> Dude, they obviously. I'm like just, on a plane. You would shit on a plane. I'm like, what? If there's a toilet there, what do we? Like, yeah, I'm like, if I got to go, I'm going. People hold that shit like, you're like, you know, freaking SpongeBob face. All like, you know, I'm like, my, my brother had a scenario in one of those small planes where he got <laughs> diarrhea and there was no bathroom. Oh. And uh, he had to shit in the pew pack in the back of the Dude. <laughs> there was no choice. There was no other option. Dude, we had a guy, I, I wasn't there, but this is a true story too, during a hockey, you know, hockey gets kind of nasty, so we play, I play in a Massachusetts men's league, okay? Respect. D-league, too. There's about 15, D-league. 15, 15, 15 Budweiser's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back. Natty Ice. We got one of our players called Natty Ice because he brings the Natty Ice. So the game before us, a guy, these guys got in a fight, and the dude basically goes into the locker room and shits in this guy's glove. <laughs> 
<laughs> Power move. That's shit a in a glove. Shit right there. And the guy literally put on the glove with a shitty hand. Like, oh I mean, dude, gosh. that's like le- legendary shit. That's mm-hmm. that's some hardcore shit. No, I can't. I couldn't do that. I don't think. I don't have. The, I don't have the aim. No, I'm, I'm more into like cheeky fun shit. Yeah. Like, well, that that's was funny. like some spiteful. That's shit. like some like deep dark. Stuff. Yeah, like I mean, know. unless they were really good buds, and it's like, all right, I'm gonna get this motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Gotta watch what you eat, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, buds, you know, yeah. he's got a situation that he if he eats too healthy. He shits himself. Really? Yeah. Dude. Really? He's a, he's like, like, allerg- me, like, he's like get- allergic to healthy food, basically. Like what type well, of Well, this happened after. Like, like an acai bowl shit? <laughs> Dude, since the other day, he just he orders from this healthy place, and then just <laughs> within 30 minutes, it happens. But a couple days ago, I was like, oh, we should eat some vegan food. <laughs> Straight up vegan, and within like 30 minutes, I was put down for like 24 hours. <laughs> Like in bed, like, oh, like, like holy, ready to die, basically. So basically, you go to a restaurant with like with buds. If it's if it's organic, he's like, I, I'm sorry, I can't eat that. Can you can you send it back? Like I just yeah, no. Is organic. that grass fed? I can't eat. That. I need. Do you have preservatives? Yeah, like, I need something that's that way, free range. No, nope, free range. Doesn't you know what the truth? <laughs> well, my well, the thing that does me right, bananas. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it just sends you every time. No, it's oh. the best. It keeps. So I have like oh, my keeps my go to right. is oatmeal and bananas. Like you know, cut up in the oatmeal. I, that's like I'm like five days a week I do that, and it's keeps like, you right. My wife's like, how do you do that so much? I'm like, I love it. It's like keeps me full, but it does. I notice when I do that, it's I'm good. <laughs> keeps you keeps bounced. When I don't, I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get into hot takes here. Uh, hot takes. Hot takes are presented by Oakley. I recently started rocking a helmet. Uh, in my old age, I got about five brain cells left. I'm trying to. Trying to keep it at five right yeah, now, trying, not get down to four. We can't tip lower than five, bro. Yeah, so I run uh, the Oakley Mod 1 helmet, and then I run the Oakley Line Miner goggles. I go goggles over the helmet. It's a good combo. They work great. Uh, shout out to Oakley. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, and we're going to get into hot takes. It's a staple. So we always start with this one. First question is, Michael Jordan and or goat to you, kind of your goat of snowboarding, both male and female, who you got? But um, to me, it's Jeff Brushy. Nice. Terry A. Hot second. But Jeff Brushy. Not Hawkinson, hot second? Yeah, I think so. Right. Um, girl would have to be Trish Burns. Mm. For just, I was oh, there with her at the right time. She was, she, was, she was like our little sister. But. Zoe's like, I mean, like I look at the now, and I'm just so impressed with that girl. Oh my god, she's mm-hmm. insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, like she's the the stuff that she's doing blows my mind. Um, yeah. But like, if you're talking about old school, it would have to be Trish would just be it, and then Jamie McLeod because you know she pushed the envelope. Wow, for a lot sick. Of girls too. Love the Jamie McLeod. We haven't yeah, heard that one. Yeah, McLeod is that. McLeod's rad, and she's. I just sat with her recently too, and she's really, you know, she snowboarded. To get prize money to buy saddles for her horses, she was a horse racer. I didn't like, know, you know that. Yeah, so she was, um, and watching her um, ride and just kind of figuring it out and, and getting and progressively getting better over time was just really cool to see. But you know, but people like Trish were there to kind of you know take her underneath her wing and and just like support her. And um, but yeah, solid East Coast royalty right there. Uh, next question: Photographer goat of snowboarding. Bud Fawcett. I've been creeping on his gram a lot lately. Woof. I got to pay him. Pay, got pay him. Photos. I mean, dude, it's just, yeah, he's got crazy photos. Like, it's just, it's, it's not even, it's a joke. And, like, you think when you think you've seen them all, it's like, what? It's yeah. Like, 
Yeah, he said, "Come sit with me, man. I'll just show you all my stuff." I'm like, I, "Yes, <laughs> I will," because I'm I'm impressed, honestly, and like to be able to do that the way he did it with like a lot of like no motor drives, yeah, like one shot. You know, like he just at the time he when he did, figured, it. he knew what he was doing, and he worked with some of the greatest to me in my in my mind some of the some of the best snowboarders in the world. Okay, is snowboarding an art or a sport? It's an art. You know, it's turned into a sport for those that think it's a sport. But it's 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 not uh, to me it's neither. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Surfing. It's like you can get money, you can get paid, there's competitions, but do you surf when you got nothing else to do and you just want to go out and the waves are good? Yeah, you're that's a lifestyle. So to me, snowboarding, yeah, art, lifestyle for sure. Who's the most underrated of all time? In snowboarding? In your mind. To you. God, that's a loaded question. I mean, underrated of all time. You know what? I never thought of it that way because I always think everybody, I always put everybody, you know, I always never think of anybody's underrated because I always rated everybody so high. I don't know if that makes sense, but if I had to say, I don't know, man. I don't have an answer for that. It's a really good one. I mean, it's, I don't have, it's not coming to me. <laughs> I mean, I would, because I was, I was just thinking of people like that were around back in the day and like, I mean, I'd say there's a lot of East Coast dudes think, that never got the shine that they could have got. You know, Hobie, you mentioned him. He's a dude that, like... But, like, he's just a legend. Yeah. Like, he's not... It's, like, rated... You can't... He only rated him based on... If you're rating someone based on their riding or their influence or whatever, I don't know. It's just really, really tough because there were so many people that just, like, were good and they, they hung out and they were, like... I think Colin Lentz is... And I'll tell you why, because, like, he had more style than anybody had ever seen come out of the East Coast, come out of Pennsylvania... And he was a generics rider, but like his crooked cops and like just shit was just like he tweaked his out of his mind and he went so high. Um, he's completely out of snowboarding now. He doesn't, you know, he's just kind of like one of those guys. I haven't seen him in 20 plus years, but like I think he was, we all rated him high because we knew what he was capable of, but I just don't think he ever got the spotlight that he should have gotten just because I don't think he wanted it. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So there's guys like that, and I just have to say his name and like, the guys like Jim Kelly, um, like he was one of the first people I ever shot with, and just he pushed the envelope every day, and just had so much style, was super fun to shoot with, and you know he moved out west and didn't do so hot out west. Like I think you know landing in powder and like doing things like that just didn't serve him well, whether that was part technology, part the board, whatever it was. I just feel like you know, um, all right. For hot takes, next question, we got steel or powder? Like rails or powder? Powder. Best style ever. Peter Line. Fucking love that answer. Uh, best snowboard video ever made? Mm, I'd have to, God, I'm torn on those because I love the garden, which is one of my favorites. But you guys will really my favorite movie and you're gonna laugh is has to be roadkill nice love that i don't know roadkill the music the rails like gooch's part ranquit like all that was a really good film but man the garden when that came out just took it to a whole nother level because i think roadkill was first and the garden came out right after that 
and Volcom, they did such a good job on that movie. I really loved it. And Terry, I mean, just there's so many good ones though, like Subject Hawkinson. But mm-hmm. I just, I have, if you ask me, like my first answer is The Garden. Sick. Okay. Favorite board graphic. Favorite board graphic would have to be. I'll probably say the brushy dice board. Just because. No, I'm going to take it back. Probably Terry A. Sword board. <laughs> Terry A. Sword board because that was the first time I was just like, oh my God. Watching him ride that board just made me want to snowboard more. And then I met the guy who actually did the design for that board. So that just put it over the edge. So. <laughs> Great answer. If you could go heliboarding with three people, you're just going good times, ripping pow turns. You can take anybody in the world. You can take Allen Iverson. You can take celebrities, friends, doesn't matter. Uh, who are you taking to go have a good time in the copter? Easy. Craig Kelly, Jamil Khan, and Jeffy. Good, good crew right there. Fucking love that answer. Good stuff. Uh, beaver slap. You know you're in the lift line. You got snow on your board. Are you are you one that hits a, sm- a fat smack in the uh, in the lift line, or you kind of keep it tame? I keep it tame. Keep it tame. Okay. Okay. Last question. Worst trend. <laughs> TikTok is the worst trend. I mean, just I can't do it. Dance videos. I don't know what it is. Good answer. All right, buds, you know what it's time for. Woo! I do, and it's uh, pub beer time, my friend. You going to crack some can? Yes, I am, my friend. It's uh, it's it's cheap, it's fun, and uh, hold on. Delicious. It's delicious. Uh, Oof. They support the show. Uh, they support snowboarding. They support a bunch of really cool stuff. So if you're thinking about having a couple ice colds responsibly, what are you going to choose, buds? Pub beer every time. All right. Let's do the crap shoot. Welcome to the pub beer crab shoot. Alright, roll the roll that dice, we'll tell you what you gotta do. Roll throw them bones. Oh. Get a four. Four. What is one of your worst bales, Gary? Give us a good bail. One of my worst bales was definitely getting hazed by which was really funny. We were just talking about that JP Claire, JF Kusan, Mike Douglas, and those guys. Um I was following them around some backcountry stuff and I got hazed off of a small little cliff like you know basically fucking with me well they were like dude you gotta yeah. jump off this you gotta yeah. do this yeah and ragdolling down bah, 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 all the way down yeah nice I mean those guys JP would go like 200 feet to his back he's that dude right pretty much <laughs> but like yeah I mean again I was a I followed around all the guys bailing half the time I just try to stay stay yeah. on the stay on the board with a backpack but yeah that was probably my worst uh, fall one thing we forgot to talk about buds is this guy Cheddar Bisque yeah we gotta talk Bisque dude so give us, give us like, throw us a bone. Give, throw us a bone here. Give us some, give us something. Maybe like highest paid photo shoot. There you go. Oh my god. That's what Cheddar Bits all about. So, and it's a past shoot, so it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. So, I used to do a lot of shoots for Coca Cola. There was one of my clients, and um, I was, you know, making really good money shooting day rates. My day rates were over $35,000 a day. That was your day rate? Over that. 
just shooting, just stepping up to shoot, and then I'd get paid usage on top of it. I know. That was to get out of bed, basically. Pretty much. And then so Coca-Cola had reached out to my clients, and they were asking. They said, listen, we want to secure Gary for the year, a million dollars for the year, and they would, I would have a certain amount of shoots I would have to do. And um, they said no. I was like, what? You're going to say no? And they did, and that's when I didn't really realize what I was making at times. My agents were making 35% of what I made, so they made 35% of my day rate, so they just charged. You know, and at that point, like— Wait, they, your agent said no? My agent said no, because they knew how much work I was already doing for Coke. So— Jeez, dude. <laughs> I know. So that's a joke. That those days are gone, bro. They don't. Okay, like so these anymore. were. They that just was in the highlight of my career, and like it was honestly wrong, so wrong. But it was right at the same time, and <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. So anyway, just so you know, wrong, but it was right at the same time. That's kind of that's kind of that's the kind of a real deal. But like you know, again, that's not what it's like now. But dude, I did live those days when it was like that. That is a crazy. day rate, dude. It's a crazy day rate. It's like. Oof. Everything, so that's what Jan Buds charges to show up in the streets. Dude, snowboarding—they don't see day rates like that. No, those don't exist. No, you know. But again, like I said, like it doesn't. I mean, that's a day rate. You're hiring a crew. You're like, you're not even barely doing any work. You like walk in and press the button after your crew sets. Those up. shoots we were shooting at Cristiano Ronaldo in Portugal for Nike. You know, we were supposed to go one day in and out in Lisbon, biggest pitch on the planet to shoot Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't show up with all our lights. I've got tons, I mean, $6,000 just for the day rate of renting lights and on this pitch, ready for him to show up, didn't show up, pack it up, come back the next day. He's going to be here tomorrow. Same thing. Boom. Do you get paid still each day? Oh yeah. They pay me. And then we're like playing soccer. Like all we did was just like fuck around waiting for him to show up and sweating our asses off. Like, hope he doesn't show up now. You know, like just (laughs) every day for a week. He didn't show up, and we ended up leaving Portugal without taking one photo of Cristiano Ronaldo, and that shoot was like a 325,000 euro photo shoot. And you still get paid. paid. That they paid for, that Nike paid for, that never saw an image. And they're just like, eh, whatever. So I was, I mean, it was crazy, but that's just how that industry works. It's like I shot Rory McIlroy for Oakley, and it was a great shoot, unbelievable shoot. But the problem was that we never saw the light of day because he ended up signing with someone else. He didn't sign with Oakley. So oh. we did the shoot thinking that they were going to sign the deal, and the deal never got signed. Wow. So it's just, that's just how the industry you know works. What we call that burning buds. Yeah, burning some serious buds. Sure, burning them, buddy. Do you still have uh, an agent? Yeah, I've got a couple agents. A couple, multiple. Yeah. I mean, for different things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, great guy. Ed Veritas is a great, you know, John Kenny, those guys have been with me for shit 10 years and just they're good dudes, good human beings. And, like, I, I had another rep years ago, and I left her and went with these guys, and I've been with those guys ever since. And, um, you know, now I'm kind of repping dudes. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Trying to bring people on and sharing the love. And as the industry changes and progresses, just trying to build awareness and let under, people understand how that industry works and what to expect and what to charge. And there's a lot of salty motherfuckers out there, dude. I'll, I'll own Clubhouse, you know, sometimes when, when Clubhouse just came out, I, it was a good place or meeting place for people to talk shop and, and try to understand one another and just a good meeting place. And then you just get people going, man, the industry's on the, you know, fast track to hell. You know, it's like no one's making any money anymore. It's like, you know, people are getting underbid. And I'm like, you know what it is? It's not even that. It's just everything's changing. Photography's, everyone's a photographer now. I mean, everyone's got a camera at their fingertips mm-hmm. all the time. An instant, instant gratification. Photo, putting right up on your, you know, platforms instantaneously. It's just like it's a different time. And you got to be able to bounce with it. Yeah, 
People just get salty and they need to like bob and weave and stick and move and right. They get salty and fade out. It's either you're gonna stick with that and survive and learn to adapt, or you're just gonna fade away. And I just I choose to adapt and yeah. just move on. I'm gonna take those shoots that don't make that much money, but I will use that shoot to my advantage to get the next job. Yeah, and you'll have some younger kid you can send them out. With your knowledge 100%, 100%. and do that shoot for you. Or have that kid work for you that's yeah. actually shooting stuff for you that you're still making some sort of money on somewhere, somehow. Yeah. And still giving him a great opportunity as an education. And he's loving it. Yeah, he's getting education and a little money in the pocket. 100%. Him or her and bam. Oh, I love it. All right, we're going to wrap up uh, this this show here. A couple last things. Setups. I think it would be good to ask him his camera setup. Mm-hmm. What's, your, what's your one Are go-to? you sponsored by ProPhoto? I used to be. You used to be. Yeah. Dude, do you Google like pro photo lighting tips? It's all this guy telling you what yeah, to do. Yeah, I know. Full on videos. Back in the day. Yeah, I still have a good relationship <laughs> with those guys. I'm getting ready to buy a bunch of uh, new power packs and pro, they pro, just pro 11s. They don't just sell them No, God. Dude, those things are like $20,000 a piece. <laughs> yeah, so I'm getting ready to invest a bunch of money in some new uh, technology because it's insane right now. But my setup, um, I have a lot of different cameras, you know, for um, stills. Um for, you know, for the larger stuff, when I'm more controlled space, I have a Fuji GFX 100 that I use. It's like a 100 megapixel file. It's a great camera. It's, 100 maggies, huh? It's a nice, it's like a large format digital, so it's just got a really good fall off. I mean, you could be at F11 and it still feels like a 2.8 lens yeah. sometimes. So it's got a good look. But I, dude, the new Canon, the Canon R5 to me is the best camera out there. I mean, out of any camera I've ever used, the files are insane, low light capability, the focusing system with the targeting. And then just, you know, that sensor. that is just amazing. The, the R-Glass, it's good. There's some good ones. They need to do more primes. They do a lot of zooms. So, um, but you yeah. You get off that Canon and move into that Nikon. You Nikon. Know I mean? I, you know, I was a Nikon. Were you a, are you a Nikon guy? Yeah. I, I was, used to be Canon, though, and I swapped one year because I, I was, was like, a, I want some new shit. Yeah. I was a Nikon guy early on, <laughs> back in the early days, and then um, just kind of stuck with what I knew. And then um, with the motion stuff, I, uh, I'm shooting either film. I use a Canon Scoopic, which is an old, really cool, like, sports 16-millimeter uh, film camera. And I also have a bunch of reds that I use. And, you know, I'm really in love with the Raptor. I think it's insane. It's a great camera. That's the new, like, smaller? The Komodo's the smaller oh, the Komodo. one. But the but the, the Raptor's dope. It's kind of a bigger bigger boy powerhouse guy with just the color science on it. It's really great. And it's a good file. And, you know, people used to talk shit on red. You know, I've known red since, you know. Pretty much, it came out, you know, when when to go into Oakley and seeing a you know early version of it, and so I've kind of been, I've I kind of like drank that Kool Aid earlier on, so I've just kind of stuck with it, and it's, it's worked for me. So Sutton's working Incredible. totally. Well, uh, last thing we're gonna ask you before we wrap it up, uh, do you want to throw any thank yous out? Oh my God, yeah, always. I mean, I think shit. You know, thank you guys, one, for having me here and be able to, like, talk shop and so fun and uh, reminisce. And, you know, thanks to all the, you know, people that have supported, you know, me throughout my career and office support in East Street Archives. And, um, and God, there's just too many people to thank. Um, but I'm really just really stoked and um, stoked to be here. And, you know, again, if you don't want to, you know, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, but you know, my wife obviously, and I, I thanked her in the book. You know, she's like I met her at Killington the first, uh, my first day there, the first time I moved from Virginia Beach to the mountains to Shred. I met her, and she's been with me ever since. We're you know just uh, you know celebrated twenty five years, and she's rad. She's she's my she's the person that keeps me together for sure. 
She, <laughs> so definitely she's number one, but, you know, friends and family for sure. Well, Gary, thank you for all that you do for snowboarding. Oh, man. And being you. We thank really you, appreciate man. I appreciate you. Yeah, hell yeah. Thanks, guys. And cheers. 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 And I want to say thank you to all the listeners and everybody that supports the show. We love you guys. Over and out from the bomb hole. Peace. Yeah, Thanks, guys. Woo. Nice.